Dan Tracy, the NFL season, well, the regular season, is over. And this is always the fastest 18 weeks of the year, honestly. I feel like we just started mapping out what we were going to do for week one for the NFL season. I remember week one. Week one is like my favorite week to recap ever because, you know, you don't know what's real and what's not. (laughs) And I feel like we just did that. Here we are, January. Uh, we're recording this January 9th, the day after the end of the regular season, and it, that that really just flew by. Yeah, it's. I mean, the last six weeks flew by for us because of the absolute catastrophe that we witnessed for the New York Jets. But yeah, it, it just this this season. I guess maybe it's because we're just getting older. But this season flew by faster than any other season, and. I feel like this is the most I've looked forward to the playoffs in quite some time. And it's funny to say that because, you know, the, obviously my team isn't even in the playoffs, but I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. We will touch on that uh, later on in the episode. We have a really, really good one for you guys today. We are going to be talking basically all football. I'm sure that some side topics will pop up as they usually do with two brilliant sports minds in Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur. If you, you guys aren't looking at our recording, but I am Robert Sala today. And Dan, in memory of the greatest offensive coordinator ever in New York Jets history, he is Mike LaFleur. Uh, just want to quickly say, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I am a, I'm, I'm not really a great follow, to be honest with you. But uh, I do tweet out some interesting stats every once in a while. Dan does it better than I do, to be to be fair. I, I just kind of copy what his, his layout is. But uh, the Jets, over the most crucial – Six weeks of the season, averaged 11 points a game, 15 points in the last three games of the season, and didn't score an offensive touchdown in the last 13 quarters of football. Now, I know we're not talking about the Jets just yet. I just figured that those stats are so egregious that they had to be mentioned just at the top. Yeah, like I I mentioned to Pete before the episode began, the Jets passing touchdown leader, Zach Wilson, with six. Joe Flacco had a chance to pass him on Sunday, week 18. Uh, he and he did not obviously. They didn't score a touchdown, and he finished with five. Even though he started uh, only four games, he was right up there with Zach Wilson. Just think about how bad that is, though. He started four games and he only had five touchdown passes. Yeah, well, and, and he had it in his first three too. I mean, so the but the fact that Zach Wilson ended up with six and he was the Jets' leader is uh, astonishing. Well, I, mean, I, I don't I don't really know what else to say about. Well, that. I hate the Jets. I just <laughs> I just want to just say that. Uh, obviously it is a little bit late, I guess, to be talking about this. I don't think it's ever too late to be talking about this, but last week our episode came out on Monday, so we didn't get a chance to talk about the unfortunate situation with DeMar Hamlin and the fallout, uh, incredibly scary situation. Obviously there's nothing that we're going to say right now that hasn't been said, but we do want to offer our opinion and our take on it. And I know Dan, you wanted to discuss it a little bit and, we were talking about it while it was happening, and it, you know, just an unprecedented situation. Something that I, I, we've seen before once. Very, very. Uh, it, it didn't happen too long ago. We think of Christian Eriksen on Denmark during the Euros in 2021. Uh, collapsed on the field, had a heart attack on the field, actually, as well. And uh, that was certainly scary. But this hits home a little bit more, being you know an American watching football every week. And really what I was discussing with my girlfriend who was watching, who's not really a big football fan, uh, she said, I I didn't really see anything crazy. And I tried to explain to her that something like that happens 
50 times a game. That exact play happens 50 times a game. You don't think anything of it. That's why we were generally confused at first as what was going on. And just a, just a horrible, horrible situation, a horrible thing to look back on. I haven't watched it since it happened. It's just such a, such a scary thing to see. Yeah, and it was kind of the opposite for me is that I, I didn't see it directly. And by the time I did, they were kind of cutting back on the replay. So I assumed um, head and neck injury. You know, that's a, it's not actually, even though they, they kind of, Adam Schefter um, said something that went against this uh, during their coverage. It's actually not incredibly uncommon to see a, a, an ambulance on the field yeah. in NFL games. They actually had one for a, a Bills player earlier this year for Dane Jackson. They had one last week for Josh Sweat before yeah, before well, that yeah, happened so, to Mar Hamlin. Dane Jackson had a neck injury earlier the earlier in the year, but usually what you see is head and neck injury. They need to stabilize you, um, and then we get the you know the update that every they're moving their hands and feet. And we're all good, you know. Play on, uh, and you know the a lot of times when when that situation happens, a guy even flies back home with the team that night if they're on the road. Um, but then the word of I think the turning point, of course, for everybody was the word about CP that they were performing CPR, yeah. which which Joe Buck said. And I think that that took everybody back um, a few you know, a few steps and, and made people say, "All right, something something unprecedented is going on here." Um, I, I think it's it's amazing though. You know, there's a whole lot we can say about it, and it's been a week, so we're probably not going to say as much as we could. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is it's amazing that we how far we've come from that, which I think was one of the most surreal nights um, following sports, covering sports, whatever you want to call it, that I've ever experienced. Um, don't really know how to almost how to describe how how it felt compared to you know, how unprecedented it was. Um, but how far we've come from that to where we are now a week later where everything is uplifting. You know, not only has the the NFL world, world come together and the sports world come together and really the whole world come together over it, which I know you want to talk about. But um, you know, he's he's all good. Like it's not like, you know, we're we're coming together around somebody who's in in terrible shape right now. He is he's fully neurologically intact, which to be honest, which is amazing. Which, which is absolutely my biggest amazing. fear because you know, I know this is a different situation, but that's what happened to Mike Leach last month is that he went mm-hmm. without his heart stopped and he went without medical attention for too long. And even though they got him, they got his heart going again, there wasn't anything left because, you know, you lose oxygen. Yeah. But the best place to have this happen is on a football field or, you know, like Christian Erickson on a soccer field, any kind of uh, sporting event, because yeah. they've got everything there for you. Uh, yeah. So they were able to re- recover not only his his heart and get that going again, but his whole neurological function. And now he's still in the hospital, Demar Hamlin, but he's he's sitting up, he's talking, he's FaceTiming the Bills, he's tweeting. Um, you know, almost like none of this ever happened. Yeah. I know there's a little bit of a ways to go, but the yeah. fact that it's such a it's such a positive situation a week later is I don't think something a lot of us expected that night. Yeah, it's something that needs to be said. I I do want to shout out not only the athletic trainers for the Bills and the Bengals, but, you know, we've seen countless times before two instances come to mind for me is in the early 2000s when Chris Pronger got hit in the chest with a puck. His heart stopped as well. And the athletic trainer saved his life. And also a similar but not so similar situation with Clinton Larchuk when the skate came up and hit him in the neck and the head athletic trainer Shoes and all, not even not even with skates, ran onto the ice, saved his life. You know, these guys are really unsung heroes, and I know that they don't have to spring into action a lot, but when they do, they are ready, and they have, they have saved 
countless lives on ice, on a baseball field, football field, whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, basketball court, whatever it may be. We, we don't really know the extent of some of these injuries and, and those guys just spring into action and they are ready. Uh, also, I want to shout out the uh, announcers and the and everyone. You know, I thought Joe Buck, Troy Aikman did a fantastic job. You know, Adam Schefter did a great job. Booger McFarland did a great job as well. Uh, I'm, ugh, I feel so bad. I'm drawing a blank on uh, what was her name that was in the uh, studio. Called, wait, was it the sideline reporter or, the, or in studio? Both. Uh, Susie Culber was in studio with Adam mm-hmm. Schefter and Lisa Salters was the one on the sideline. Yeah. I thought did a really good job. Everyone did a fantastic job. I also want to shout out Ryan Clark as well for shedding a little light on the situation, you know, being, being firsthand, really seeing something like that. Didn't he, he administered the hit to, uh, what was it? Willis McGahee, right? Mm-hmm. When the playoffs that, I mean, that was super scary at the time too. He basically like paralyzed Willis McGahee on the field. Uh, you know, someone who has seen something like that firsthand and has administered a hit and, and has gone through all those emotions, it was kind of comforting in a weird way to hear his take on it. And I don't really want to talk about Skip Bayless either. You know, I mean, I mean, it's, I, I, all I'm going to say about Skip Bayless is I think that he needs to retire and he needs to go away for a little while. Uh, that's that's all I want to say on 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 that end. But everyone involved, the head trainers. You know, shout out Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott for basically saying, listen, we're not sending those players back on the field. This is an unprecedented traumatic situation. And no one, not even, I mean, the perfect still frame for how these players felt was the picture of Joe Burrow and and Josh Allen together, just looking visibly distraught at what was going on. Can you you imagine? All right, Joe, you know, I'll give you five minutes. Put your helmet back on. You're going to warm up. And he's not even on the Bills. Imagine what Josh Allen was feeling, and and all those players. It would just it would just be a horrendous situation to continue the game. Shout out everyone involved that got that game postponed and then eventually canceled. Uh, it, it's just it's it's amazing to see, you know, the progress that he's made in such a short period of time. Basically, having his heart revived twice: once on the field, once in the hospital. Going from not a great situation to expected to make a full recovery in time, expected to make a full recovery. And then, of course, you know, just the way that the NFL is somehow poetically scripted all the time. Naheem Hines takes the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and the state, the, the stadium goes absolutely berserk. And that was probably one of the top moments for me, probably a top five moment of the season, honestly. For me, yeah, that was that was back to back plays for the Bills. If you strung every play together for the Bills this season, the last one before that was the Demar Hamlin injury. It's it's mm-hmm. almost too perfect. Um, to go back to what you meant, what you said about everybody on on the broadcast who, who did a great job. I thought Scott Van Pelt was tremendous um, on Sports Center. He's he's one of the the few redeeming qualities left of, of ESPN. Yeah. Um, Scott Van Pelt could like narrate my funeral. He's, he's amazing. Um, <laughs> he, he just, he always says that he just knows exactly what to say uh, at a given moment. And he's very fair. You know, there were some, there were some emotional moments by Ryan Clark, by other people um, during that broadcast. And he kind of brought them back to, to reality and brought them back to, to the ground. Um, and he kind of, he kind of kept everybody calm, kept everybody stable. He's, he's one of the best people uh, in the business. Uh, and, you know, for everybody to handle such an unprecedented situation very well is um, both in the broadcast booth, in the studio, on the field, between the players, the coaches, 
um, is a sign of, of that, that people are good. People are smart. People are good. Generally, that doesn't mean everybody is. Uh, but, you know, and Zach Taylor and, and Sean McDermott, uh, I tweeted that night that I, I my not so hot take is that uh, coaches are America's best leaders. I, I truly believe that if we replaced every politician with a coach, we'd probably be better off. Um, and Sean McDermott well, as long is one Taylor, of those coaches with Dan Campbell. <laughs> well, don't, I'll let yeah, Dan Campbell. I'd elect. He's the gen, he's the general. Him. He could lead my my military. <laughs> <laughs> but but Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor, who by the way don't get a lot of attention because they you know they don't do the flashy things that that Sean McDermott uh, that that Dan Campbell does, but they do win. Um, they're great ambassadors for the game. Uh, it would be you know I hope if there's I think a lot of good is going to come of this situation. I think a lot of good already has. Some of the good could be elevating the profiles of somebody like Sean McDermott, somebody like Zach Taylor, who are really good uh, ambassadors for the game. Good people, good leaders, good coaches who are probably going to be around for a very long time. I think you said it perfectly. I think that that's a, a perfect way to really summarize what, you know, what has been said over the past week. Like I said, an unprecedented situation that, that, brought the football, not only the football community together, sports community together completely. I thought it was, you know, it's just subtle touches that some teams and some players can do. I mean, basically everyone wearing a DeMar Hamlin shirt or DeMar Hamlin jersey, teams changing their profile pictures to pray for DeMar. It's little things like that that just make that, you know, that just make it that much sweeter, I, I guess I would want to say. But yeah, and the amazing thing is, not that many people knew Demar Hamlin. You know, let's be honest. Who's having a great season, by the way. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, as a, as an injury replacement for Micah Hyde. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you look at the the NFL world, like the fans and an outpouring of support from fans. Most of them probably didn't know who he was, and that's completely fine. He's a second year safety, didn't open yeah. the year as a starter. You know, if they had. They probably would have figured out who he was in the playoffs because you know he's going to play a big. He would have played a big role for the right. Bills. Um, but the the fact that there was such an outpouring, even though so many people didn't know who he was before that night, uh, is is pretty amazing. I think that's the most amazing thing to me. I mean, I see people liking the Bills. The people I know uh, liking the Bills posts and the NFL posts that I know for a fact do not ever think about the Bills, let alone Demar Hamlin. They never think about the Bills. On a daily basis, but it's kind of captivated the sports world, even though, or beyond the sports world, even though he's not really a big name. So I, that's just a, it's another sign of how powerful uh, football is, how powerful sports are. That you know, it's not like something happened to Josh Allen and everybody reacted. Somebody happened to a lot of people that a lot of people didn't know, and yeah. they still they still found it in their heart to come together and show the show support in the the best way they could. So. You know, a lot of positivity to take away from it, I think. Definitely. I think you summed it up perfectly. Uh, that's, like I said, an, an amazing situation that is only getting better as the days go by. So, you know, we will continue. If there's updates, we'll continue to talk about it. I would love to see DeMar Hamlin on a football field eventually. It doesn't look like it's going to happen this playoffs. But hopefully next year, the beginning of the year, he will be back on a football field. And I can only imagine the walkout from that tunnel oh, yeah. when Mar Hamlin comes out in Buffalo. It's going to be something that we're going to be talking about for sure when Definitely. it happens. But kind of switching gears to, I guess, a more happy situation. Uh, we do want to discuss the college football national championship that will be taking place tonight. Tonight. Which is 
the Georgia Bulldogs and the TCU Horned Frogs, which is one of my favorite names in college football. I think it's it's that and the South Carolina Gamecocks are my uh, two favorite college football <laughs> college football names. But yeah, and a very very interesting matchup. I think Georgia is like wildly favored by what twelve and a half points or something like that. I saw thirteen and a half this morning. Oh so my it's, god, it's a big one. TCU yeah. is going to cover all the way. No, they probably won't because I said that. Um, I did say last week, though, I, I feel like I'm not picking TCU as much as I've been all on TCU. I, I also believe in fairness. Um, and I'm not going to lie, lie to people saying I think TCU is going to win. Um, you should but I, lie. Think they, I think they could lose by, by 10, 10 points or something like that. Cover. Uh, you know, the one saving grace for TCU is that their offense is pretty explosive, and Georgia's defense, this is the weakest we've seen Georgia's defense in probably two or three years. Yeah. So I think that, you know, and granted it's so funny because Georgia still has like four legitimate top 50 defensive prospects on their defense, and we're saying that they're, you know, so weak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, 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 it it's true. They... This is the weakest they've been in a few years, and we've seen teams – I mean, even LSU, who didn't really have the most inspiring offense at the time, still put up 30 points against L- You know, Georgia. I mean, they gave up 50. With an injured, with an injured quarterback who ended up yeah. not playing the second half, they, they still look good. Exactly, and I expect – I mean, first and foremost, the thing that I think about is the fact that both of these teams have not been active since New Year's Eve. So right away, I think that – Whoever shakes the rust off the quickest, it might be the winner of this game. Now, obviously, if TC, I mean, we saw TCU jump out to what a twenty-one to three or twenty-one to seven lead against Michigan, even more, maybe, maybe twenty-four. I, f- I forget what it was. It was a, sub- a substantial lead, and then it poof, it basically went away. And I mean, I, I would like to think that Georgia has a better offense than Michigan, so. Maybe not statistically over the this, the course of the season, but I, I mean, if if anything, Georgia seems like they would come back and you know you give them a sliver of hope, and they're going to come back as fast as possible. So yeah. I think if you know if TCU jumps out to an early, I, I, I would have to go out on a limb and say to be comfortable, it would have to be like a three score lead. It would have to be like seventeen nothing, twenty you know twenty one nothing for me to feel comfortable about them being able to play that bend but not break defense that they play. I mean, they broke several times against Michigan, but that was just a big play fiasco. I mean, every, like on both sides, teams were, were they were just trading big play after big play. So if TCU can limit those big plays and they could and they could hold Brock Bowers to, you know, an okay game, I think they have a legitimate shot at winning. Yeah, and it feels like the key for Georgia is uh, is avoiding turnovers, which they do pretty well. I, they 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 definitely avoid turnovers better than most teams in the country. Um, but look at that TCU Michigan game. Michigan had what two pick sixes, um, you know, through two pick sixes, and then had the fumble uh, on the on the one yard line. I mean, that's three massive turnovers, and they still scored forty five. They still only lost by six. Still came down to the you know the final minutes. Uh, it feels like that. It feels like if Georgia just avoids the turnovers, uh, they'll be fine. Now, if they if they give TCU help, you know, that's that that can that's the type of thing that can turn the game. Um, you know, TCU 
forced like they're the team. That, I don't want to make it sound like Michigan handed the ball away last time. TCU forced those three big turnovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense may break sometimes, uh, but they also it also can produce big plays. And we've seen it perform against some really good teams too. They held Texas to, I think it was ten points, including yeah. a, a first half shutout. Um, I think that might have been on the road too. I forget. It was on the road. You're right. Yeah. So you know. They can they can hold up. They can hold their own. I don't think I think the idea that there are some you know classic Big Twelve defense that never did you know that can't stop anybody is kind of <laughs> a myth. But if you watch the Michigan game, you probably wouldn't know better because while they made plays, they ended up giving up forty five. There's a lot of defensive. Te- there's a lot of NFL talent on that TCU defense. Yeah. Oh, look and at that really, game that really Winters had in the, in the in the against Michigan. I mean, he was single handedly wrecking them in the first half. It feels like they need big plays. They need those turnovers. I think they're going to. I think we all know they're going to score points. We all know Georgia's going to score points. If turnovers, defensive scoring might be the might be the uh, the difference in the end. But of course, Georgia could go in there and just blow them out too. I, yeah, it wouldn't stun me. And to be honest, it wouldn't be a sign that TCU doesn't belong there either. I, I think that just might tell us, hey, Georgia is still the best team in the country. Yeah. And against Ohio State, you know, they may have gotten a little complacent because we've seen them do that before last year. Definitely. In the SEC championship against Alabama. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Georgia came out and, and blew them out. Also wouldn't shock me if it's a close game. Yeah. And while I think I don't think TCU is out of it, it probably would really surprise me if they went in and won. Um, but if they do, if they do, don't don't come at me and say that I, I was – Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming at you. I've been on them the whole year. I'm coming at you, Mike. (laughs) But I think it really comes down. I think it boils down to two premier matchups that obviously, I mean, the first one that will be enshrined, you know, or or will be highlighted completely is Quentin Johnson versus Keely Ringo. So, and and the, the, the funny part is that in the game against Ohio State, it was all the talk was Keely Ringo against Marvin Harrison Jr. And even though Keely Ringo only gave up one catch for 16 yards and a touchdown on Marvin Harrison Jr., he was consistently burnt toast to the fact that they took him off of Marvin Harrison Jr. So it's going to be interesting to see how Ringo bounces back. Uh, Georgia tends to leave him on an island, probably against the worst matchup in college football. They're going to leave him on an island against Quinton Johnston. I don't know how they're going to attack that, but... It's going to be interesting to see. And then Jalen Carter against the undersized offensive line of TCU. Uh, you know, I had someone in my comment section on YouTube go, you know, how is Jalen Carter the number one overall prospect in the 2023 draft when he only has three sacks? I, I cannot stand people that just look at the ESPN stat book and tell me, you read it back to me and tell me that he's not good. An absolute monster in that defensive line. I mean, if you watch any game and you watch the impact that he has, he's consistently double teamed and still wreaks havoc in the backfield. So it's going to be interesting to see how that undersized offensive line attacks uh, Jalen Carter. And then you're essentially leaving everyone else in a one-on-one assignment. So, you know, maybe Jalen Carter doesn't have as impactful game in the stat, in the stat sheet, but creating one-on-one opportunities for other great defensive players uh, is something that he does very, very well, and why he probably will, if Chicago stayed at the number one overall pick, which they totally won't, why they should take Jalen Carter number one overall. is that impactful. But I digress, and I think that those two matchups are the premier matchups to see 
how this game really, really unfolds. And I could easily see Quentin Johnston putting Keely Ringo in a blender, but I could also see Keely Ringo shutting down Quentin Johnston. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes on. I think if you want a prediction, I do think Georgia pulls it out. And I think it's pretty convincing. I think it's, a, I think it'll be a 13 point win. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking maybe like 33 to 20 or something like that would be the final score of the game. Yeah. And I, I'm a little worried too about um, Kendra Miller, who's uh, he's, uh, I think he said he has a 50-50 chance to play, which, like, even if he does, that's not the most promising thing I've ever heard Yeah, uh, about his effectiveness. And, you know, Georgia's run defense is still very good. Yes. Uh, so I I, I, I kind of worry about what's going to happen if they're just forcing Max Duggan to pass all day. I mean, the, Kendra Miller was a huge part of their offense this year. And they still ran the ball pretty well, not as well as they probably hoped, but they ran it pretty well uh, after he went down against Michigan. But Georgia's run defense is going to be a tough, a tough ask, a tough ask for uh, either Kendra Miller, and who's not fully up to speed, or for anyone else. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping for a competitive game. We've seen a few surprises in the national championship game. I know four years ago, um, when Clemson won that second title, the first with Trevor Lawrence, Alabama was a pretty decisive favorite, not by 13 mm-hmm. and a half, um, but by, by I think about six and a half or something like that. So. And they went in and blew them out. It wasn't just a, a close one. So you never know. Um, I think Oregon was favored against Ohio State in the first uh, national title game of the playoff era. So, But it would still be the biggest upset of the in playoff history because I think TCU and Michigan technically was uh, the biggest upset betting-wise, maybe not in my mind, but betting-wise of the, of the playoff era. So th- this would be a little unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to rule anything out. This college football season has been pretty crazy. If you would have told me that TCU was going to be in the national championship game at the beginning of the season, I would have asked you what the hell happened to, you know, like 30 other teams before TCU. So I think it's going to be a very, very interesting game. Uh, It's nice to see a different team in there, you know, even if it was, you know, I really, really wanted to see Ohio State versus Michigan. That would have been that would have been the premier uh, national championship game for me. But it's nice to see TCU in there, and I know your love affair with Max Duggan will continue. And especially if he wins, forget it. It's it's going to be prevalent for weeks to come. But I'm very, very excited for the game. And of course, I'm working night tonight, so I won't be able to watch any of the game. So that's great. Uh, so please keep me updated on what goes on. But I think it's about time. It's about that time in the episode where we kind of shift focus to the NFL. And you know how we usually do it around here. We go game by game. We talk about it. We talk about the fallout of each game. We're going to do it a little bit differently. We're not going to highlight any of the games because we are going to be talking about each playoff matchup in uh, full detail. We just wanted to highlight a few teams that we thought had interesting seasons um, you know, teams that dealt with a ton of injuries and, you know, just overall a catastrophe of the season. You you know, you think of like the Arizona Cardinals. We're not going to discuss that. We know that, you know, Cliff Kingsbury is terrible. He should get fired, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they're heading for a mess of an offseason. The Raiders, another team that we really don't want to discuss because, you know, it's just a, it's a clusterfuck over there as well. Uh, the first team I really wanted to talk about. And I think because we already mentioned him once in, in this episode, I want to talk about the Detroit Lions. And I want to talk about the fact that the Lions started off one in six. 
And we, after week seven, Dan, we both sat here and we said that Dan Campbell's seat was hot. I don't think it's hot anymore. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, our, our sentiment was at the beginning of the year, um, okay, this team could be pretty decent. And then we start, we saw them play, but we saw them lose a few games. And we said, well, they, they look pretty good. They just got to finish the job. And then they had a few rough ones. And we said, well, they've got to start showing results at some point. You know, it can't be like, hey, the Lions are close. The culture has been rebuilt. Uh, and they're one and six. You know, that doesn't really last. We've never uh, seen a winning, culture like this before in Detroit. Never. But we, the, and I'm not even trying to be funny. We've never no, seen winning, it before. The winning began. And uh, and we're, we're seeing the effects of that, of that culture that Dan Campbell's built. And, of course, uh, the talent. Um, you know, all things aside from this year. I'm really looking forward to next year. And I think that for the Lions, I think the cold, I think the expectations have completely shifted. I think we can agree on that. It's playoffs or bust next yeah, year. Yeah, it has to be. No doubt that it's playoffs or bust. Um, you know, you've got, first of all, Jared Goff had an outstanding season. Really good. I mean, he he was he was tremendous. He looked great last night in a really tough environment uh, where, you know, I don't even know how cold it was, but I do know you could see everybody's breath on the field. So I know it was pretty cold. Um, he had a great season. Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown has proven that his rookie year was not a fluke. He looks yes. like a, a top 20, top 15 receiver in the NFL. Um, in a league where receiver talent is kind of off the charts right now. Uh, Jameson Williams is about to have a very big year, I think, next year. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, really, I'm still disappointed he had that big play taken away last night because some ridiculous penalty in the back. Uh, but Jameson Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown are going to have a huge year. They've got some great the great running game between one of the league's best offensive lines, and then you've got the duo of Swift and Jamal Williams. I hope they can keep them together. Um, and then the defense should only get better. Uh, they've got they've got a real pass rush now with Hutchinson. James Houston has come out of nowhere. They yes. can just build up that secondary, build up that run defense. They've got a top five pick. Um, uh, they're set up better than just about any team in the NFL. I know that a lot of people aren't sold about Jared Goff long-term. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, look, he could take them to a playoff game. I think people's concerns might end up being, can he take them to the Super Bowl? Which Listen, he already did for, he did for one team. We're not there yet with the Lions. We're, we're not, not there yet. But, but, you know, we're, we're, we're getting – I think next year if they were a first-round exit, it might be a little disappointing for some people. That's how – promising they look right now it all depends it all depends on how they attack the offseason i mean i think for people that are talking about you know just because the lions have a top five pick you know i i really think i'd go out on a limb and say that drafting a quarterback in the top five for the detroit lions would be an absolute waste of a top five pick yeah, because I, don't think they do it. I don't know i don't think they do either and i think i think it would be ridiculous if they did regardless of who they get, because, you know, Jared Goff has a reasonable contract for the next couple of years. He is more than proven that he is capable of leading this team to victories. He had an outstanding year. He didn't throw an interception in the last six weeks of the season. He was absolutely outstanding basically the entire year. And we, we've talked about this narrative the entire year that you know, Jared Goff's not that type of quarterback that's going to elevate the talent around him. But if you give him the talent, he is going to perform. There's a reason why he was the number one overall pick, you know, whether we like it or not. He's like a and better has, version of, of Jimmy Garoppolo. And he, and he has the talent. He absolutely has the talent around him, and it's only going to get better. I want to highlight how well the Detroit Lions have drafted 
as well, especially last year. You know, you think of obviously Aiden Hutchinson, who should, this coming from a Jet fan, should definitely win Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's more than earned Defensive Player of the Year with his performance this year. Nine and a half sacks, three interceptions, was basically a driving force for that pass rush the entire season from week one. Uh, he was outstanding this year. You know, Jamison Williams, very, very promising, really looking forward to this upcoming season. I think he's going to be a superstar in the making. Uh, you think third round, Kirby Joseph, four interceptions, a fantastic season. Really stepped in for Tracy Walker uh, mid, well, I wouldn't say mid-season, early on in the season. Wasn't expected to play the role that he did and excelled and was fantastic. And then you think of a six-round rookie out of Jackson State, James Houston, like you mentioned. Uh, one of the highest graded pass rushers in PFF. Uh, I believe I, I checked before, I, I checked earlier this week, 89 and a half pass rushing grade, eight sacks. He was fantastic this year. I know, obviously, everyone's going to think of that boneheaded penalty that he had last night, but you know that's not a testament to the season that he had. He was sensational, especially for a six-round rookie. To get eight sacks out of a six-round rookie, where you don't really expect much, where you drafted, not only you drafted an edge rusher in the first round, you drafted an edge rusher in the second round as well, and he thoroughly outperformed the second-round edge rusher, Josh Paschal. So, he didn't have much of a role until later in the year. That's, no, and he came alive. I mean, he had his first two sacks of his career against the Bears uh, last week. But, you know, he, like you said, he didn't have much of a role. But James Houston kind of stole that role from him. Yeah. You know, and, and there's – I mean, listen, if he's playing better, I'm going to play him. It doesn't matter where you're drafted. Whoever's playing better is who's going to play. And that's kind of the mentality that Dan Campbell has. And, I mean, the, the, it was just amazing to watch last night the Detroit Lions were never going to roll over and die for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, they pulled out all the stops. I mean, it was trick plays. It was tough defense. It was hard no. I mean, everyone believes – everyone is buying into what Dan Campbell is selling in yeah, Detroit. That, that wasn't easy last night. You know, you find out at 7.30 that you're eliminated and then you have to go out and play a game in an hour. You know, I heard some people saying, well, it probably allowed them to play looser. And I believe that. I do yeah, believe, I believe that too. But – it's it's got to be hard to stay that motivated, you know, in, in in week eighteen when you're probably in pain all, you know, you're in so much pain and you you've gone through the the trials of the season uh, to be that motivated when you just got eliminated, um, and the fact that Dan Campbell was able to whip them into shape and get them out there and I love the sideline interview that Dan Campbell did and they're like, all right, well, you know, what's what's motivating your guys to play well? And he's like, well, we don't want them to go to the playoffs. I I was I was going to mention that if you didn't, I mean, that was just like. That just encaps- encapsulates what Dan Campbell is all about, yeah. and it's it's. We need more. We, we need some Lions primetime games next year. I think we could all agree on that. Get rid of the Colts, get rid of the Broncos. Uh, if the if Tom Brady retires, take the Bucks with him. Let's see the Lions in primetime, so we can get some Dan Campbell sideline interviews. We, we Let me to- say though, I I don't think Aiden Hutchinson's the defensive rookie of the year. I, I still think it's Sauce Gardner. I absolutely think you know you know I absolutely think it is because. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, I think Sauce had a, a absolutely phenomenal year. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I mean, when you're the complete driving force for the pass rush that Aiden Hutchinson was and the plays that he made, I really, I, I really don't think you could overlook something like that. And don't get me wrong. Like we said before, stats don't necessarily tell the whole story. Sauce had a fantastic year. 20 pass breakups. He had the most in the NFL as well. But also that whole secondary was completely revamped as well for the most part. You know, you add Jordan Whitehead, you add DJ Reed. It's not like Sauce just kind of came in there on his own and was the revelate the driving force behind 
the you know the secondary being as good as it was. Now, granted, he was the biggest part of it, but he wasn't the whole part of it. And really, Aiden Hutchinson coming in with there was no expectations for that Lions pass rush. He was sensational. And I really think that that's, that's what will get him the defensive rookie of the year. At, at the end of the day, I'm not going to be mad if he doesn't win it. At least they'll give us some consolation, you know, if, if Sauce wins it. I also think, you know, Tariq Woolen deserves a little bit of uh, praise as well in the defensive rookie of the year talks. I think that's the top three, really. I think, I think, I think those without three, doubt, that's the top three. Yeah. I think that's the top three. Um, I, I think if, if I was to have a vote, even as a Jet fan, I think I would give Aiden Hutchinson the nod over Sauce Gardner. That's just me, though. And we all know that really a lot of these a lot of these awards. I mean, MVP is a quarterback award. Defensive Player of the Year, the majority of the years, is an edge rusher award. You know, there are just certain awards that go with certain positions, and it really seems like you know the flavor of the month is edge rusher for a defensive rookie of the year. But I digress. I think that. In total, the Lions season, especially after starting one and six, was a sensational season. And it kind of sucks that Seattle won and we don't get to see this team make the playoffs. It kind of sucks. Yeah. Because imagine how imagine just imagine the postgame interview with Dan Campbell if they won that game and they went to the playoffs. It would be absolutely electric stuff. I think that Dan Campbell is must see TV. I completely agree with you. The Detroit Lions deserve some some primetime games. And I mean it's absolutely insane the amount of primetime games that the the Denver Broncos got, I think they had like eight or like 10 primetime games this year. It's like freaking it, absolutely insane. It'll be interesting to see if the NFL overcorrects. I mean, what they, the issue was giving primetime games to, uh, how do I say it? Old quarterbacks. I mean, you know, let's be honest, Russell Wilson declined for, for whatever number of reasons, Matt Ryan declined. Tom Matt Brady, Ryan fell off the face of the earth. He didn't decline. <laughs> Matt Ryan disappeared. Uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks decline for whatever reason you want to put out there. Um, they, you know, but look at these up and coming teams that are fun that people want to watch, including yeah. the Jets uh, this year. You know, well, including the Lions. The Jets were fun for a while. They, you know, they well, no, I'm just saying that the one primetime game that they had and they, you know, laid a egg. No, but but <laughs> next year, assuming we have a veteran quarterback, I don't even care who it is if they're not exciting. They're going to be bet more competent than what we had this year. Definitely. The Jets should get a couple primetime games. The Lions should get a few. I think they're going to be a lot of fun. Um, Justin Fields, unfortunately – actually, you know what? The Bears got a lot this year. Though. I, remember, I remember seeing the Bears on there, and I'm like, why do they have like three primetime games in the first six weeks? Um, but I, st- I think they'll still get a few next year because of Justin Fields. Yeah, they think, definitely will. I think we might see the NFL overcorrect and go toward the younger guys, the Jaguars, you know. So uh, we we may, you know, like if we see um, you know, a veteran quarterback switch this offseason, I'm not saying Rodgers or Brady, but, you know, somebody like <laughs> so anything similar to Matt Ryan, I think the NFL should be very cautious with scheduling a bunch of primetime games around somebody who may or may not be good anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that for sure. I think that overall, like I said, it's a shame that they didn't make it, but this has to be, you know, like you said, with the, with the the draft capital they possess, with the money that they possess, the coach that they have, the ta- the offensive talent they have, I think the Detroit Lions have as bright of a future as they've ever had, really. And- and how important was that week four game between the Seahawks and Lions? Yeah, well, that, that was, ended up being a, being a play-in game. I mean, if the, if Lions had won that, not only that, but if everything shook out the same way, they'd be the sixth seed. 
Yeah. Over there, they'd be 10 and 7. It's it's a, it's unfortunate because they just caught them at the right time of the season where they were playing historically bad defense. And shout out to Aaron Glenn as well for, you know, the, the Lions stuck with Aaron Glenn through the horrid first seven weeks of the season. And the last 10 games, he really, really turned it around. I mean, the Detroit Lions defense was like a, like a top 12 unit the last 10 games of the season. They were very, very good. And, um, you know, he deserves a lot of credit as well for that turnaround. Unfortunately, it was just one game short. But like you said, now there's a certain expectation. It's not <laughs> it's not cute anymore. You know, oh, wow, the Detroit Lions went 9-8. and eight. They Can't wait until they go 0-17 next year. No, it's it's different now. It's not a fluke. Or, yeah. or it shouldn't be a fluke. You know, so it, there's going to be certain expectations that go with them next year. Uh, another team I want to talk about in terms of expectations, we also mentioned one player that was the turnaround for the a catalyst for this team. That's New York Jets. And uh, we talked about it earlier in the episode. Uh, I think Mike LaFleur has to go. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's pretty apparent that, you know, we're, we're coming up. This is, this is year two of him as the offensive coordinator. Uh, the number 28 scoring offense. And last year, I believe they were like 30th. That is a recipe to get you fired. I mean, I don't care who you are. You could be prime Bill Belichick. If you're getting, if you're 30th and 28, I mean, look at the offensive weapons that they acquired over the last couple of years. And you go, you move up two spots. Garrett Wilson himself should have moved you up at least like seven spots. Can you imagine himself. what it would have looked like if Garrett Wilson wasn't there? I mean, he was Ugh. every single game, including yesterday. He looks like the best player on the field. When he's on he the is field. the best player on the field. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, when Brees Hall comes back, I think it's a fight between Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, who's the best player on the field. But you know, you usually don't see rookie receivers do things like that. You know, bailing out every quarterback he plays with. Yeah, yeah he's going to be. He is special. If if you, if you give, I'm fully confident in this statement saying that if you give Garrett Wilson consistent quarterback play the entire year, he probably has 1,500 plus yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's really saying a lot for a, a rookie wide receiver. Uh, you know, we've documented the collapse of the Jets over the past six weeks. I don't really think we have to go too much into that. Just the fact that it's a little disappointing going into the season. There was expectations to get better were there expectations to be six and three and seven and four at the time probably not I mean and especially some of the victories that they had you know going I know Green Bay isn't the same team going into Green Bay beating Green Bay beating Buffalo did we really expect any of those victories absolutely not you know, a really nice comeback against the Browns, an unprecedented comeback against the Browns as well. There were there were signs of life. And, I mean, the, the, these are games that last year or the Jets would just roll over and die and just not play well at all. And there was, there was real signs of vast improvement. And it's unfortunate to see the way that the season shook out, but now there are certain expectations for the New York Jets. The New York Jets are a quarterback – a semi-decent quarterback away from being a playoff team. So if you go out and get that semi-decent quarterback, you are expected to make the playoffs next year. That's it. Yeah. It's, I think I think Robert Sala is going to be under some pressure. He absolutely you is know, going to be under pressure. Right, so is Joe Douglas because, yeah. yes, Joe Douglas constructed this roster, which is getting them towards the playoffs, 
but he swung and missed at, at a lot of things. We're thinking Makai Becton was his first swing and miss. Mm-hmm. Lakin Tomlinson looks like a swing and miss because he was absolutely horrendous this season after being a, a pretty decent Pro Bowl guard throughout his career. And now Zach Wilson is a massive swing and miss, one of the biggest busts in recent memory. So now, you know, you're, you're acquiring a lot of these busts <laughs> through the draft. I mean, granted, he's hit on a lot of – he's hit on, on many picks as well later on. You've got to hit on your, your top picks, dude. Like the, That's the name of the game. I don't care if the rest of the picks are garbage. If, if that first-round pick becomes a superstar, I don't care about the rest of the picks. Garrett you know looks like a superstar. Jermaine Johnson, when he's on the field, looks like a playmaker. Yeah. You know, at Sauce Gardner, it's Sauce Gardner. So. That's why he bought himself time and goodwill with, with that draft. I mean, <clears throat> Sauce looks like a, you know, a future elite corner if he isn't already. Reese Hall looks like a top-tier running back. Jermaine Johnson's very promising. <clears throat> and Garrett Wilson looks like legitimate number one receiver for the Jets, which the Jets haven't had in a long time. Um, so, you know, he's bought himself time that way. But he's got to get the quarterback right. And it doesn't have to be uh, a franchise guy this offseason, but it's got to be somebody you can win with. Um, and I saw the report, you know, that that they're, the three on their list are exactly the three that you would expect. Uh, one, Lamar Jackson, who I don't think is going anywhere. Uh, two, Derek Carr, who I, I think very much could be a Jet. And uh, three, Jimmy Garoppolo, who I also think very much could be a Jet. Um, he's got to get it right. You know, it can't be like you get a Matt Ryan type and then he falls off a cliff. Um, you've got to get a guy who you're confident can be the guy for maybe two or three years, you know, because who knows if you, who knows the next time you're going to end up in position to, to land a franchise quarterback. Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to make the right move. I wonder if Aaron Rodgers is looking for a change of scenery. Um, if so, I would probably just sign up for it and take him and see what happens. But, uh, you know, he's got to, no matter what, Joe Douglas is under a ton of pressure to get this one right. And it's kind of a, you know, in this, in some ways it's unfair because of how well he just did in this past draft and free agency getting DJ Reed. But, uh, but the quarterback position rules all. And if yeah. he doesn't nail the quarterback position this time, or at least get somebody who can take the Jets to the playoffs, now, now we're talking about his job on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's time to pull out all the stops. We're getting to the point in the Jets roster before cuts right now. Jets do not have a lot of money to spend. Jets have close to $16 million to spend. And obviously cuts will be made, you know, players will leave. So that'll expand. So say, say $40 million, right? You have to go out and get your guy. I don't care how much it costs. If the one move that they make in this offseason is getting a quarterback and then just signing their draft class, that's completely fine with me. And also, we're talking about a team that doesn't really have that much draft capital either. The Jets are back to normal when it comes to draft capital. And I believe they only have six six picks this this season or like, or like seven picks. You know, it's not as many as we're used to. You're getting to the point where you are spending money in the offseason like a playoff team. You have draft capital like a playoff team, but you're not making the playoffs. Right. You have to you have to make the playoffs. You know, we're no we're this isn't the Jets of five years ago where every year the Jets had eighty-five plus million dollars to spend. Now you're you, you know, you have superstars on your roster. You're not gonna have as much wiggle room. You're not gonna have as much draft capital. You know, we're already <clears throat> if all if those think about it like this, in a few years, <clears throat> sorry, if Jermaine Johnson turns out to be as good as I think he could be, Sauce Gardner is elite, Garrett Wilson is elite. 
that's three contracts right there that you're going to have to dish out that are going to be massive. They're going to be absolutely massive. You know, you, you have to really start, you have to start planning financially for the future, but you have to win now. It's a very difficult situation for Joe Douglas and I don't, I don't envy him at all, but listen, you know, you came with a lot of expectations. We've been patient. This was the season to make the playoffs and they collapsed. We're kind of okay with it because we see that they can make the playoffs. You have to go make the playoffs next year. Yeah. That's it's the bottom line. Bottom line. I mean, this season was a disappointment. It was a thrill, but a disappointment at the same time. So next year it's playoffs or bust for the Jets. And honestly, it might be a little bit playoff success or bust for the Jets too. I'm I'm not gonna be okay with next year if they go eleven and six, ten and seven and make the playoffs, I'm not gonna be okay with a first round exit. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see who ends up uh, at quarterback. I mean, the Jets haven't had um, a veteran quarterback in a long time. Well, really, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitz, yeah, yeah. But he wasn't he wasn't um, signed to be the starter. You know, he was signed to be uh, the backup to Geno Smith. They weren't even planning to make it a competition. Although I think we shout out IK and Mankapali. Yeah, I think we all could have figured out who would have taken over for him anyway. But um, you know, they, for the last decade plus. Geno Smith drafted, Mark Sanchez drafted, um, Sam Darnold drafted, Zach Wilson drafted, Fitzpatrick was the outside signing. Before that, it was Brett Favre. So yeah. uh, it's, it's it's kind of a unique situation as Jets fans here to see them need to go into the offseason saying, you know, it's not which quarterback are we going to draft, it's which one are we going to sign or trade for. Um, but there's a ton of pressure to get that one right. And it, like I said before, it does not have to be a long-term solution by no. any means. Uh, but probably more than one year of a solution. Uh, you, yeah. you know, you're hoping if you get somebody like Derek Carr that it's maybe two or three years uh, or longer, of course. But, uh, you know, if, if it works out perfectly. But you, you you do have to nail this one. And it's, you know, that's the NFL. This is how quickly things change that we're sitting here saying, OK, well, these Jets and the Lions were feel good stories here. Uh, and next year, the expectations are at a completely new level. And yeah. the odds of both of them making the playoffs Maybe slim because you know things go wrong, and there are a lot of, especially in the AFC, there are a lot of talented quarterbacks. Um, you know, things go wrong on both ends, and for, for both of them to make the playoffs would, would take uh, you know, a lot a lot of those things not to go wrong, it would take some help. So, it, it's going to be interesting to see, to see how this ends up next year when you're going to have these uh coaches that a lot of people have, have a lot of faith in, Robert Sala, Dan Campbell, and all of a sudden there's going to be pressure and criticism and uh, they're going to people are going to take it to a new level so i think we could both agree that dan campbell has bought himself way more time than robert sala though i think so but you know if the lions come out next year and they're they're still losing close games and they for some reason they go seven and ten or something like that you're going to see that flip completely but, yeah but i still I think i still I think, think we very... get one more year regardless of what happens next year yeah, so, and I, 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 I mean the, there's some I, people that are calling for sala's job now yeah, which I, I think is wrong because we need to get him the quarterback. I mean, look, we all went out there and I think Salah is not perfect, but we all saw Zach Wilson play. You can't <laughs> win with that. We saw we saw Joe Flacco play. You can't win with that. He obviously deserves a third year, and it's not every coach he can say that for for the Jets. Like Adam Gase didn't deserve a third year. Adam Gase didn't um, deserve a second year. No, no. But but Dan Campbell, um, you know, pressure flips very quickly in the NFL. But the NFC, I would say, gives him an easier path. To contention, yeah. we saw that this year, and now look, Brady might not be there next year. Even if he still plays, he might not be in the NFC. Yeah. Rodgers might not be there next year. NFC is wide open. 
Um, so, and you can make the case that as of as of the current day, January 9th, that the Lions are maybe the fourth best team in the NFC, if not higher, with the way the Cowboys can play. Um, so, yeah, I think the path actually next year is a lot easier for the Lions than for the Jets. But you could also make the case that, uh, you know, defense wins championships and the defense, which held down a lot of good offenses this year uh, for the Jets, uh, is is positioned really well for next year. But you got to keep everybody healthy. <laughs> got to keep everybody healthy in training camp preseason because yeah. that's been the Jets issue before. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, switching over to – Another team, as you mentioned, well, you mentioned Geno Smith and you mentioned the NFC. So I do want to talk about the last two teams. Well, we want to mention a couple other teams too, but really kind of go in depth on is the Seattle Seahawks. And I don't really think there's much else to say other than, I mean, last offseason, you trade Russ. You have the oldest coach in the NFL. You really have no direction because your defense isn't that great, but you have electric offensive weapons. You don't really know which way they're going. You know, they they get Drew Locke in the trade. I'm thinking Drew Locke is going to be the starter because we've seen nothing from Geno Smith of really the first eight years of his career to say, yes, he will be the, the, the starter week one. Geno Smith not only has the best season of his career, really the one of, if not the best seasons in Seattle Seahawks history when it comes to a quarterback. I mean, highest completion percentage. I think he threw for the most yards. He, he broke their passing yards record. Yeah, yesterday. I mean, and Russell well, Wilson was was the only quarterback in Seahawks history um, <clears throat> to throw for more than four thousand yards in a season. Now Geno's passed him. I know there's seventeen games, but he's he went. It right doesn't it doesn't matter. Geno Smith had a sensational year all year. He was close to the top in several offensive categories for a quarterback. Uh, you know, they made the playoffs nine and eight. Very unexpected. I don't think that. You know, opening day, you look at that roster and you go, you're starting, you know, a fifth round rookie at cornerback, followed by a fourth round rookie right behind him. At, you know, not much talent in the secondary on paper. Jamal Adams goes down. Probably their best secondary piece besides Raquandre Diggs goes down early for the season. You know, not looking good. And or I, I believe isn't. Isn't Quandre Diggs, believe it or not, like one of the only players in NFL history to start his career with like three plus interceptions for the first like six seasons of his career, something like that? Like, something yeah, kind of a, I don't know the exact stat, but he's a he's kind of a ball hawk, and it, it worked out yesterday with that yeah. uh, overtime interception. Yeah, he's he's one of the quietest Pro Bowlers. He's like a perennial Pro Bowler now, and maybe you know, yeah. I don't know if it's completely deserving. It may have it may have more to do with that safety talent is more in the AFC than the NFC, yeah. but he's quietly been a really good player for them. Yeah, he's he's really good, and and you know, there was just a ton of what ifs because the Seattle Seahawks had a fantastic draft class last year. You go into the season with two rookie tackles in in a division that has you know Nick Bosa in it. As well, you're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be rough for them. And believe it or not, Charles Cross had a fantastic season, but Abraham Lucas actually had a better season than Charles Cross did. You know, there, there was a ton of what-ifs. We thought the offensive line – a lot of saw a lot of people ranked the offensive line 30th in the NFL at the beginning of the year. I thought that was a little egregious considering that they had, you know, Damian Lewis, Gabe Jackson as well in, in the offensive line. Uh, there was, like I said, just a ton of what-ifs. The defense was iffy. Everything came 
together almost perfectly. And it's kind of unfortunate that they have to play the San Francisco 49ers in the first round because, you know, the 49ers have the two games that they really haven't had an offensive outburst were against the 49ers this year. So, you know, kind of doesn't look good for them there. But you have to think that a ton of credit goes to Pete Carroll. Geno Smith had the best year of his career. I mean, truly great story. Really, really. Really, really enjoyed his season, honestly, especially from a fantasy perspective, too. I enjoyed his season as well. Uh, yeah, he was great. Uh, I don't think anyone expected it. That's got to be the surprise of the season. He's got to be like, you can't even really consider him comeback, right? Because he didn't have, like, you can't. They were, yeah, they were talking about that yesterday on the broadcast, actually, which I, it was, it's kind of an interesting situation because, yeah, it's like, what's he coming back from, being on the bench? Yeah. To be honest, though, I'd, I'd probably consider it. I mean – No, I, I would give um, it to him. I yeah, would, I feel I would like, give it to him. I mean, listen, he his, he earned it with his play. I think, you know, some people – you're kind of right, though. I think a lot of voters might think about, like, oh, well, uh, you know, it really should be for an injury or something like that. And then they – you know, that kind of splits the votes. Um, but, but, look, it's not like he was great before. I mean, he – I know we haven't seen him in a while for an extended stretch, but, like, Let's be honest. When he was with the Jets, he was a complete turnover machine. Um, and he came out and threw 30 touchdowns and 4,300 yards and led the Seahawks to the playoffs. If you heard me saying this four months ago, I mean, you would lock me up. This is it, – it's it's one of the best stories of the season. To be honest, when they won yesterday, I was a little disappointed. And it was only because I, I felt bad. that I felt like the Packers were going to win. So I thought like, oh, great. The Lions have this great season. The Seahawks have this great season. Geno Smith has a, a year nobody expected. And now we're going to see, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers back in the playoffs. Um, so while you said, and I think this might actually end up being the perfect segue into our into our wild card uh, preview. While you say that, you know, the Seahawks probably don't have much of a chance against the 49ers, I say I probably agree. But I, even though this is a league where, you know, everything is about winning, I almost feel like they are a – happy to be their team. I know they're not taking it that way, but I'm going into that game saying, well, it's just great that the Seahawks are at this level and that, that, that Geno Smith got his playoff spot because I would have felt really bad if they ended up missing out because I, I felt like they deserved it more than a team like the Packers that kind of coasted through the year pretending everything was fine when it really wasn't and then won a few games. I'm really glad that the Seahawks earned it. And yeah, like you said, amazingly set up uh, for the future, like you implied. That offensive line's got two big pieces for the future. Tariq Mullen is uh, is a, a really good corner. Kobe Bryant, yeah, Kobe Bryant. I mean, look at but look at this draft. Is that you know Abe Lucas is what a second round pick, third, um, a third round pick, and Tariq Mullen was a, what is he fifth. A fifth rounder, and then uh, Kobe Bryant was a fourth rounder. I believe. You're looking at everyone. Literally, everyone was a contribution. Charles this is Cross. what they used to do. This is yeah. what John Schneider, who's still the GM, this is what they did. Uh, at the beginning of the last, I don't want to say dynasty, but the last great stretch of success, you know, not obviously they nailed Russell Wilson, but Bobby Wagner was a little known second round pick. Richard Sherman was a, a yeah. Cam Chancellor was on it was a day three pick. Um, you know, Brandon Browner was pulled out of the CFL. I mean, they 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 were they were finding guys that uh, that other GMs just yeah ignored. just didn't even just turn their nose up to yeah, yeah. but. It's yeah. I mean, they they are set up for the future pretty perfectly. Uh, a segue now into a team that is not set up perfectly for the future is the Los Angeles Rams. And you got to think, we knew that it was going to be a little rough. 
We really did. We went into the season. You know, the offensive line is not great. They got a lot of money tied up in very few players. So their roster really needs to be constructed well from late round picks. And it didn't start off well with Logan Bruss being their first pick in the third round was out for the season before he even played a single game. And then he was going to play a big part of that offensive line too. David Edwards goes down with a long-term injury. It wasn't going to be good. And despite the run in the playoffs, Matthew Stafford was pretty terrible towards the end of the regular season last year. And the plague just continued throughout the entire year. And, you know, it, it, I don't know. If I was him, I think I would just hang it up, to be honest with you, because I think I think the future of the Rams kind of lies in Baker Mayfield's hands. And I think that might sound crazy, but he really played well. And it also it also it, it also hangs on the fact that if Sean McVay comes back or not, which I really think it's 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 gonna be more of a discussion than ever because now there's so many what ifs. Because if Sean McVay comes back, what does he have to work with? If he leaves, he's going to broadcasting. Who are they going to hire? Does Aaron Donald come back? Does Matthew Stafford come back? You know, there's just so many what ifs. And then next thing you know, a five and what are the five and twelve? They were right. The worst, um, the worst defending Super Bowl champions of all time. Five and twelve. They have a lot of money tied up in Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, uh, Jalen Ramsey, Allen Robinson, who I guess played football this year. I don't even I did he I don't even know. You know, they have they did extend Cooper Cup, right? So they have a lot of money in Cooper Cup. They've got I a believe. lot of money in him. They've got a they still got a bunch of money in Aaron Donald if he comes yeah, back. It's year. it's just like, you know, it's a fifty three man roster where eighty percent of your cap is coming from six or seven players. It's a recipe for disaster. They, you know, on the defensive side they were massively unimpressive, even with adding Bobby Wagner. Massively unimpressive on the defensive side. It it looks like they're heading for a total rebuild, and they should because they have no picks, they have no money. You know, they have pieces to trade. Now, if I was so bold as to go out and say, "Well, if Aaron Donald comes back, I'm going to trade his ass for like two first round picks," I mean that would be that would be crazy. But I mean. What do you really – what can you do? Are you going to parade the same roster out next year and hope everyone stays healthy and maybe win seven games in a very difficult NFC West? Yeah, well, you know, if, but, you, if you believe the reporting, this is, this is why Sean McVay is probably leaving. It's because yeah. – it's, which is funny because it's not because of um, – you know, last year they were saying, well, he could leave after the Super Bowl because he's a little burnt out and he wants to you know, live a little bit of a family life. Um, and according to reports, it's not because of burnout this time. In fact, the, the report specifically said burnout's not the reason. It's that he doesn't want to endure this this upcoming uh, rebuild. Which, to be honest, I tweeted this yesterday. If you're, I know, I, there are two sides to this. I said if you're a Rams fan, which I know there are not that many Rams fans, <laughs> um, you you will feel a little hurt by that. Can you imagine like Robert Sala took the Jets to new heights and then things got a little rough? And he's like, you know what? I don't want to go through this rebuilding phase, even though I'm in 36 years old, which is what McVeigh is. You know, it's not like you're if you're like 65 and you don't want to rebuild. I get it, but 36. Yeah, but like you know that that tells me it's more. It was always more about Sean McVeigh the person. Than oh yeah, of course. The Rams. You're, it's, you know, I I love a coach who like embraces my team's identity. Look at Pete um, Carroll. Look at Pete Carroll. Then again, then again, 
if we won a Super Bowl, I don't know if I'd ever care about what Robert Sala did after that. So, you know, so there's that side of it. But Yeah, I think I, it's just so crazy because, like, we all knew this was coming from the Rams. We knew that over the last few years they've acquired a massive amount of talent. The money was dwindling. The picks were dwindling. We knew that if they reached the promised land, it was not going to be fun after. Did I think that it was going to slide this fast? No. I thought maybe they'd make the playoffs again this year. I didn't think they were going to go anywhere, but I thought they were going to make the playoffs again this year. It's a disaster. It really is. And really, I mean, the only way that they have any wiggle room is if they trade one or two guys and two guys retire. If Matthew Stafford retires and Aaron Donald retires, then they have some wiggle room. Then they could trade someone, get some picks. And maybe the rebuild isn't as bad. But the offensive line is in shambles. They really have no pass rush. It's just like it, it's it's just very very bad all around. Uh, despite two picks yesterday, Jalen Ramsey didn't have a great year either. He's another guy that you know is making a ton of money. Just just an overall disaster. And honestly, if I'm Sean McVay, I think what you said kind of has a rebuttal to it. Well, he's only 36 years old. He could endure this rebuild. I'm 36 years old. I can go make a ton of money as a TV analyst for four or five years and then come back and coach if I wanted to and still be 40 or 41 years old. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it honestly, I kind of like that route a little bit more because, you know, he's been in coaching for how long now he was a, an assistant with Washington when he was like in his late twenties. Yeah. Maybe he is burnt out. Maybe he does need a, a, a little bit of a break. I don't know. I mean, we see how extensive his knowledge is, and we see that he literally remembers everything that's ever happened in his career. Maybe he is burnt out. Maybe he doesn't need a break. <laughs> we we are gonna if he steps down, which you know, based on all the you know, I don't have any inside info, but based on everything we hear, it sounds like he's going to. Um, we're gonna hear his name for everything. Think yeah. about it. I don't know if you remember hearing John Gruden's name for every single opening, not not just in the NFL, but also in college football, because that's how good he was you know or he was basically Sean McVay before Sean McVay was Sean McVay he was that young offensive genius who uh who won a Super Bowl I mean that's what that's what Sean McVay just did we're gonna hear McVay's name for every single opening that isn't like the Houston Texans or something like that uh until he until he finds a new job it's it's legitimately gonna be every job and I don't and we it makes sense too I mean if I if I fired my coach next year the year after and he's out there the first person I'm reaching out to is him if he says no and we move on. But uh, me, his name is going to be everywhere. Let me ask you a question. It's crazy, completely like off the off the grid question. Just a thought. Okay. So say say the Chargers, who are probably, in my mind, expected to win this weekend, they go into Jacksonville, they get thoroughly embarrassed. You know, Sean Payton is out there. Sean McVay leaves the Rams. Do you fire Brendan Staley and go after one of those two guys? You know, I, I based on the res- results this season with the injuries, um, you know, the way they've played through them, I feel like it would be wrong to not I, stick with Brandon Staley. I think it However, would be. He, he, he lost me a little bit yesterday by playing so many of the starters yeah. in that meaningless game. And it became meaningless when the Ravens lost. It literally meant nothing after that. Not even seeding. They were they were locked into the five seed. The fact that he played those starters and Joey Bosa went down and Mike Williams hurt his back. 
I mean, if you're the, if you like, if you're if you're Dean Statham's who owns the Chargers, who I know takes a lot of criticism, but forget that. You know, if you're just the owner of the team and you're watching your coach, uh, you know, almost ruin, you know, really hurt your chances in the wild card round because of this meaningless game. Uh, it's not even like they played poorly down the stretch. They played really well, so it's not like you need to find a rhythm. You know, maybe Joey Bosa because he hasn't really played, but. I don't know that that would that would almost like really change the thought process for me if you lose and especially if you know if Mike Williams can't play and then you lose in the wild card round that that leaves me with a really bad taste in my yeah. mouth and I, I wouldn't at that point I wouldn't be stunned if they consider it especially with Sean McVay with um, Sean Payton out there Sean McVay if he steps down even though even if it's not because of burnout I feel like he's not going to coach this year um i think i think he there's some element of truth to the reporting that he want you know he just got married like that he wants to maybe enjoy being a, a husband for a little bit um so i'm not <laughs> so i'm not I, I don't think he coaches this year even if burnout's not really it um but who knows? maybe you do that though maybe maybe this might be a slap in the face to the Rams if McVay comes back and coaches in the same uh, well, building. That's why I'm saying it's so appealing. Think about well, maybe it. Maybe, maybe you say, "Well, let's see what Brandon Staley can do. We made, we took we made progress this year. Let's give him a year, and if not, Sean McVay is our first guy on the phone." Yeah, because think Sean. about how think think about how enticing that is for Sean McVay. You're a young, brilliant offensive mind. Probably the I the best young quarterback in the NFL, Justin Herbert. I guess you could argue between him and Joe Burrow. The a best quarterback, quarterback you can win a championship with. Yeah, if you put the right yes, exactly. You don't have to go anywhere because he's an L.A. guy. He is. Like, he just looks like an yeah, L.A. Yeah. guy. Okay. He's got a trophy wife. Like, he's he lives in L.A. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't even have to move to a different stadium. It's all very appealing. The Chargers still have a lot of cap space. They have a lot of superstars on their team. It's pretty enticing. Yeah, it really no, is. Sure. Um, I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there because, I mean, obviously we know why Sean Payton would want the job. Yeah, I mean, but, we've seen crazier things. You're completely right for putting that out there, and the pieces make a lot of sense if you put yeah. them all together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's interesting to see because I'm just thinking the only reason why, if that's back to back bad things, Bosa gets hurt, Williams gets hurt. Why are you playing your starters? They go into Jacksonville, they get like. A result like earlier this year, thirty-eight yeah. to ten. I think Keenan out. Allen was still in there in the in, late into the, after after he pulled some starters. Keenan Allen was still in there. The guy who literally cannot stay healthy. He had a glass bones and paper skin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so was Mike Williams. Know. To be fair, he's always injured too. Yeah, Mike Williams can't play four games without getting hurt. Apparently, yeah. the back injury is not a big deal. But so the fact they took that risk. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Two bad things in a row like that. When you spend an ungodly amount of money in the off season. Uh, you know what? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, this is the best that you can do a first round exit and you get embarrassed. Maybe I look over the injuries and say, you know what? You're not really that good of a coach because his time management is terrible. Yeah. He goes for way too much on fourth down and puts his defense in precarious positions all the time. And, you know, you're you're playing starters when you shouldn't be. You're not that great of a head coach. Yeah, I, I think it's a storyline. You know, even if he doesn't get fired after the, the wild card round, um, I think it's a storyline going into next year. We talk about these coaches with pressure on them. His hot, he's going to be at the very top of the hot seat if they go into Jacksonville and lose. Even if yeah. he survives this year, he's going to go into next year on the hot oh, yeah. seat. Immense amount um, of pressure. And we know that, like you mentioned, he takes some risks. He gambles a bit. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what he pulls out uh, in, a, in a playoff game. It's the first time he's – I know he played in a winner-go-home game last year 
against well, the Raiders. But first time we've seen him in a playoff game, uh, it'll be under the lights in Jacksonville. It'll be interesting to see if he if he does something crazy. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of want to switch gears re- real quick because I know there's two more teams. We don't really talk, want to talk about the teams themselves. Uh, I would like – I know you would like to talk about this. So I'm just going to let you go ahead and talk about it because you've earned this, Dan. You were laughed at at the beginning of the year for this, especially after they were 2-1 and one to start the year. You were laughed at, and you were proven 100% right. So go ahead, Dan. I rank the Bears. If you listen to the show, you know that. I rank the Bears 32nd in the NFL coming into the year. I had them going 3-14. and 14. Um and as fate would have it, they went three and fourteen. They had the worst record in the NFL. They will be picking number one uh, in the draft in April. Uh, and yes, I was laughed at. And not only was I laughed at when I was when they were two and one, people came at me really hard when I when I posted it in July because there was no way you know the uh, people even the even the most uh, agreeable people were like you know I think I think they they don't have the talent but they got a really easy schedule this year six and eleven. Um, and it didn't happen. And now, to be fair, like I've said here before, um, I didn't get a compl- I didn't get the the logic completely correct. Um, I thought the offense would be a, a complete mess. I did not think Justin Fields was the guy. And even if he was, uh, I didn't think they put nearly enough around him. I thought that the group they put around him was like malpractice. Uh, but the defense was maybe good enough to keep them in games. And at the beginning of the year, that's exactly what happened. And then they traded Roquan Smith and they traded Robert Quinn, and it flipped. The offense started playing better. I give Justin Fields a ton of credit. He proves he deserves at least another year, probably more as their quarterback. Uh, but the, the defense, reason why they won a few games. Yeah, and the, he was the reason why they were in a bunch of games. Uh, the defense completely fell apart, which, you know, not saying it was impossible to see that coming. I mean, of course, it made sense to trade Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn, and there really wasn't a whole lot there uh, outside of that. Was, the secondary wasn't terrible, and it, it didn't play up to its standards. But uh, – Yes, I did get that one right, and I've messed up that number thirty-two slot before. I had the Dolphins there one year, and they went like eight and eight. Um, but the, yeah, I, I I was looking through the comments there yesterday. Maybe I should have saved some of them for this purpose. You should have. But uh, but they were good. They were funny. <laughs> I saw a couple of them. I, I skimmed through it right when you posted it. I skimmed through it a little bit, and some of them were pretty funny. I'm sure that there's more now. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's that's that we do do want to mention about the Chicago Bears besides for, you know, you being 100% right, and kudos to you, Dan, for that, uh, is now they have the number one overall pick. And what I want to talk about is you have the number one overall pick. You're not a quarterback needy team. You have $100 million plus in cap space. This would be so much sweeter if they just didn't trade the number 32 overall pick to get Chase Claypool. I mean – Everything that they did right in acquiring another second round pick and fifth round pick, getting Ro- trading Roquan Smith, they did wrong trading their own second round pick. So now instead of having the first overall pick, the 32nd overall pick, and I think it's like the 56th overall pick. Now you have the first and the 56th overall pick. So not great business there. I get what they did with Chase Claypool. You trade for the fact that he is six foot four, 230 pounds, and he runs a four four. I get it. Not the type of wide receiver to play in that type of offense. Just not not a good fit. And I hated it from the beginning. I know we were talking about it. 
I, well, anything with the Bears, I usually hate right away. But um, I hated it from the beginning. I thought the value was insane. The Pittsburgh Steelers now basically have a first-round pick for trading Chase Claypool, so good for them. <clears throat> what I want to talk about is this is a pivotal offseason for Ryan Poles, young GM. Uh, they're essentially going to trade the first overall pick. If I am Ryan Poles, right now I'm on the phone with every team that's not in the playoffs. And I'm shopping that number one overall pick. What I would love to see from the Bears is not to be so giddy and excited on the fact that they're probably going to trade the number one overall pick. Try to hold the cards close to their chest. Maybe say, well, hey now, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are generational type players that fill two massive needs for us. So I think we're going to hold on to this pick and really make these guys sweat it out. What I would love to see is like a trade like two days before the draft. Like something that you're really making these teams sweat. You know, you're holding your your cards right here. You go, nah, nah, nah. We we're not interested. Not interested. And you really get a king's ransom type. That's what really I think is going to determine how the offseason really goes for them. Because yeah, they could spend a ton of money in free agency. But if I'm a wide receiver or a tight end, and I'm going, well, you know, Justin Fields doesn't really throw the ball that much, and he's really not that great at throwing the ball. I don't really know if I want to go play in Soldier Field in November and December or January. Not really sure I want to do that. So it's not necessarily the greatest free agent destination. I think their offseason really hangs in the balance with the draft. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you mentioned holding their cards close to the vest, it reminds me of the Titans. The Titans were pretty tight-lipped about maybe wanting to trade the pick uh, back when they traded it to the Rams, which is now seven years ago, and they got a – they got a lot for that. It ended up being two weeks before the draft, not right up in front of it. But they got a huge haul from the, from yeah. the Rams. Um, yeah, the Bears, I mean, my my personal feeling is that it would make the most sense to trade down. Uh, there are still a lot of holes to fill on that roster. Uh, you could still get, depending on how far you trade down, you could still get a top-tier defensive talent. Um, and and they should. But, yeah, there you need those picks, especially after what, you know, unfortunately they did with the Chase Claypool trade. You really need to fill out that defense. You need to fill out the offensive line if possible, and it's not all going to happen in free agency. Um, but it's it's a rare situation where you have the number one pick, you don't need a quarterback, and there is a quarterback worthy of being taken first overall. Um, it doesn't happen every year. You know, the, the, there were a few years um, – you know, look at last year. The Jaguars didn't need a quarterback, but they they uh, trading was not an option because there was no there was no number one uh, overall quarterback that was going to be taken. No, this year I feel like you almost have to take advantage of it. That some team is going to want to leapfrog the Texans. Some team's going to want going to fall in love with either Stroud or Young and want to leapfrog the, leapfrog the Texans. I don't want to cut you off, but before I forget this thought, think about it like this. You trade the number one overall pick, almost guarantees you that you get a a first-round pick for next year. So think about it like this. Next year's draft class for quarterbacks is very good, with Caleb Williams highlighting that top spot. Justin Fields regresses. He doesn't really have a great year. The Bears end up 5-12. They trade that pick to, I don't know, let's say – Let's say they, they only trade one spot back and, and they trade it with the, the Texans, maybe. The Texans don't have a great season. They're close to the top spot as well. Now, if you want a Caleb Williams type, you can get rid of Justin Fields, get whatever you can for him, 
and use those two first round picks to move up to the number one overall spot, you get Caleb Williams. There's, there's multiple levels of this and, and it, it's not just as clear cut and concise as, well, we want to build this team around Justin Fields. Maybe it's, Hey, we want to build this team around Justin Fields or maybe someone that comes after him. If he doesn't, um, you know, progress as, as we like him, this is a, listen, this, this league is based off of quarterback success. Year three, you're still leading your team to four and 13, five and 12. Not going to get it done. Well, this is what a lot of people thought about the Eagles trade with the Saints last year for the future first round pick. They said, you know, while getting another first round pick is nice in any scenario, um, a lot of people thought this was the the safeguard if Jalen Hurts was not the guy, you know, because this is a big, this is a big prove it year for him. Uh, last year was too, but this is a big prove it year for him. And I, the prevailing thought um, has been that you know if they didn't, if he didn't have the year that they wanted, if he regressed or he didn't take a step forward, uh, now they have a weapon, you know, a draft pick that they can use either to draft a quarterback or move up in the draft um, and take a quarterback. And they ended up not needing it, obviously. Jalen, their Jalen Hurts will be their quarterback next year, and they're actually going to get a. Um, I think they have the tenth pick, so they're going to yes, get a, a pretty pretty decent talent um, in that that's first it. round for a that's team it. that's already Super Bowl contender. All I'm saying, I said it last week. I'll say it again. I'm packaging that late first round pick, that number ten pick, and maybe a second or third rounder, and I'm moving up for Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. That's just me. If I'm well, I mean, that's but that's that's one of the options they have. They opened up their options, and now one of them they don't have to use because they have their quarterback, so they can do things like that. So you never know. I mean, listen, look, I've said before, don't underestimate Howie Roseman. He makes those kind of moves, and he usually does it in silence. I I, I actually have this great tweet that I wanted to say. If if by the by the chance that we were going to talk about Howie Roseman, which now we mentioned him, I just want to quickly say, I, yeah, I, I prepared for everything. But I told you, Dan, I was ready for this one. Uh, let me let me pick this up real quick. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Right here. Howie Roseman offseason acquisitions. A.J. Brown, 88 catches, 1,496 yards, 11 touchdowns. Hassan Reddick, 16 sacks, five forced fumbles. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, six interceptions and missed five games. Yeah. James Bradbury, three interceptions and 17 pass deflections. Insane production. That's insane production from your offseason acquisitions. And like I said last week, you're playing with house money. Honestly, you know me, Dan. I do mock drafts every week, and that is really my claim to fame, especially on YouTube and stuff. I can't really find a prospect at number 10 that really fits for the Eagles. It doesn't, some picks don't really make any sense. Like last week, I had Christian Gonzalez going there. Do they need a cornerback in the first round? No. But there's no edge rushers at number 10 that are left that I could really consider going there. And that's really all I would use the first round pick for is, is a defensive lineman because you could argue that that's their weakest area is pass rush and they're old with Brandon Graham and Robert Quinn. Right. So, you know, you need to upgrade the position. I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole there. I just think that the Eagles have the Eagles have insane flexibility. The Bears have insane flexibility, especially if they trade the number one overall pick. Then. Last thing I want to mention, obviously, like wherever Aaron Rodgers goes, drama follows. So, of course, at the end of the game, it was Jamison Williams, right? That came yeah. up to him. Yep. Jamison Williams came up to him, asked if he wanted to do a jersey swap. And very lowly, you could hear Aaron Rodgers say, Well, I'm going to hold on to this one and patted his chest. 
So, of course, NFL Twitter blew up and said, that's it. Aaron Rodgers is done here. You know, and he he doubled down on the retirement rumors. Well, he doubled down on the retirement rumors by, I, th- I forgot what he said last night, but it was something like, at some point, the carousel stops or something like that. Yeah, he said, he said at some point, the carousel stops and it's time to get off. And he said, but at the same time, I might take some time off and say, you know, what, you know, what are you doing? We need to give this another run, uh, which yeah. is what he did last year. He, he decided to, to keep going and he not only that, but he signed a big extension. Uh, so basically what he said is, is I'm, I need to take uh, a step back and figure it out, which means it is another winter of watching uh, that one hour of the Pat McAfee show every week, just to see if he gives us any info about his future. Which anyway. Last, last anyway. year he did not. I, I spent a good portion of February uh, following along to see if he'd give us any info. He never did. And it ended up coming out on like a random Tuesday morning or whatever <laughs> that he was signing a big extension with the Packers. So, but it means we've got to watch again, just to, just to be sure. Of course. I just wanted to mention it because of course it's really not something to look for now because of, you know, playoffs and everything like that. It, it, it's something to look for as soon as the Super Bowl ends, though. That's going to be one of the main storylines. That, Sean McVay, you know, it, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's well, the, be... way, the way that the NFL moves, it might not even be uh, after the after the Super Bowl. No, Actually, it, for Rodgers, it, it might be. Tomorrow, for all we know. Rodgers likes to drag it out, so he might be. But I have to say, we've seen big trades around the Super Bowl time before, including quarterbacks. You know, yeah. Stafford was traded before the Super Bowl. Alex Smith was traded before the Super Bowl uh, twice. Yeah. So um, who knows with Derek Carr, you know, so I, I've heard that Derek Carr could be uh, kind of a pre-Super Bowl or around the Super Bowl deal. So who knows? Well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Speaking of Super Bowl, we are not going to be doing our entire predictions because that is ridiculous because inevitably when all my picks go out in the first round, my entire prediction is useless. So we want to talk about the six Wild card, super wild card weekend matchups. Now, there's a couple juicy ones in there. A couple division games. Not gonna lie, not a fan of the division playoff games. Really not. And the reason, the reason why is because we've already seen it a couple times. See, like San Francisco and Seattle does not move the needle for me. This is not going to be a 35-34 game. You know, it's going to be more like a 35-14 game, like something like that. It's not. It's not going to be a needle mover. Same thing with with the Bengals and the Ravens. I know the the Bengals play pretty exciting playoff games. The Ravens are pretty boring. I mean, even with Lamar Jackson back, Lamar Jackson has not been himself this year when healthy. Uh, we'll it's it, it's back. huh. We'll see if he's back. If he's not back, I'm not even going to entertain watching that game because yeah. it's just going to be you know that. The Bengals were on autopilot from the third quarter on yesterday. So, I don't know. That doesn't really move the needle for me. Obviously, we'll talk about it. What, the game that I'm looking forward to the most is – well, two games I'm looking forward to the most – is the Jaguars and the Chargers. I'm really looking forward to that. Two young, really, really bright quarterbacks, probably two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Young. Whoa. Let me scale that one back. Young quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, both making their playoff debuts. So it's going to be interesting to see. Trevor Lawrence has the home field advantage. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how Justin Herbert does. I mean, Herbert is just good regardless. So I don't, I'm not really concerned about him playing on the road. And we also don't really know what kind of environment Jacksonville doesn't strike me as a completely daunting place to go play football come playoff time. So, you know, there's certain places that are synonymous with that. You think of Lambeau Field, Gillette Stadium, cold, yeah. northeastern, you know, oh, brutal place to play. Buffalo. Is well, like, even even like, is anybody intimidated by Tampa? You know, like the by going on the road in no. Tampa? No. I feel like the, they, they played terribly this year in, in Tampa, the Bucks. Just an example, like these warm weather places are a little different. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is different. And it doesn't – see, like – when I go to a stadium, come playoff time, and like it's cold, bitterly cold. It's a night. Yet the the moon is out. It's a night game. It's really different. I don't think here. playoff football. I don't think t-shirts, shorts, seventy-eight degrees, Jacksonville, Florida. I don't think which that. Is, except for the Super Bowl, which they always manage to yeah, put in a, a warm which is, weather climate. Yeah, which is freaking unbelievable. And it's so funny because they they never want the Super Bowl to be in like a northeastern part of the country and then the one year that it was in new jersey is in metlife it was like 70 it was like 60 degrees and then the next day it snowed like two feet yeah. it's <laughs> hilarious but um yeah like to get back on track it's a super exciting one for me because i really feel like it can go either way i think the chargers have something to prove they got embarrassed at home by the jacksonville jaguars right they were at home in that game Right, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Thirty-eight to ten, they got embarrassed. Um, that's a game where Justin Herbert's fully healthy, and he doesn't play well. Uh, so maybe a little bit of retribution there. Uh, you know, it. I don't really know what to expect out of Jacksonville as much as I know what to expect out of the Chargers. You know, Austin Eckler is also playing some fantastic football recently too. So I think the, I think the Chargers are going to scale it back, play a little bit more, run the ball a little bit more. And then have Justin Herbert throw off of play action passes and all that. And Dan, you react to that while I go use the bathroom. Sure. <laughs> um, I, I think the most interesting thing uh, in this matchup is, like like Pete mentioned, which which Jaguars team do we get? I mean, the offense looked tremendous uh, against the Titans the first time around, uh, and it looked pretty bad against the Titans uh, on on. This past weekend on Saturday, you kind of have to wonder is maybe that was my, my feeling is that maybe that was the game where they got it out of their system. You know, that they the Jaguars have not played uh, under high pressure at any point in the in the Trevor Lawrence era, um, at least not, you know, winner go home type of pressure. Uh, and they went up against a, a Titans team that was rested and a Mike Vrabel defense that was really good. Um, but now you're going now, you know, maybe you shake that off and you're going into a playoff game against a, a Chargers team that's equally as inexperienced at this level. They have not played a playoff game since the Philip Rivers era. Um, and maybe, you know, the rust is shaken off. You're back. I am back. Yes. So I was saying, I was saying, and maybe you could speak to this. Um, the Titans, the Jaguars didn't play that well against the Titans offensively. Like that no, was not didn't. what we're used to seeing. They played much better against the Titans the first time around. Uh, on the offensive side, do you think maybe that was just because they haven't played in like a winner go home game under pressure like that? I mean, I feel like the the rust might be shaken off a bit, you know, in, in uh, heading into the wild card round. Okay, you won a game under pressure, and now you're facing a team that is equally as inexperienced in the playoffs. But the thing with me is that 
Sorry, as I finished my gingerbread Kit Kat. Great flavor, by the way. Tremendous flavor. Um, the thing with me is that Jacksonville in a winner go home game, Triple Orange didn't play that great against Josh Dobbs at home. Right? They were at home. They were at home in that game. Justin Herbert is not Josh Dobbs. Justin, and I know that, you know, all of us talk about, oh, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert. We haven't seen, you know, him at any playoff success. He just went over 500 in his NFL career, record-wise. Different ballgame. I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think the Chargers are in for a Cincinnati Bengals-type run, where we don't really expect it. Young quarterback, no playoff experience. We don't really expect anything too crazy. They might win a game, be in the other game. I think the Chargers are getting healthy at the right time, you know, minus Joey Bosa and Mike Williams. Uh, but Mike Williams is probably going to play. It's nothing serious. I don't know about Joey Bosa. They're getting healthy at the right time. And, you know, I know that they lost the Broncos, but I don't really know how much they really were, like, in that game, despite the, the starters being in there. I don't they, It seemed like they were really just out there to have some fun. Uh, but... I think that they are in for a Cincinnati Bengals type run because they have a similar type of defense. They have an X factor at quarterback. They have weapons. You know, Mike Williams plays Keenan Allen, DeAndre Carter, Josh Palmer, Austin Eckler, Gerald Everett. You know what I'm saying? They have the weapons. They have decent offensive line, not crazy, decent offensive line, kind of like what the Bengals did. There's a lot of shocking similarities between these two teams from last year and this year. So I think that I think the only thing that was different. No, they went into Tennessee and won, right? Cincinnati, the the Chargers. Oh, last year. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah, they after yeah. they beat the Raiders at home, they went into Tennessee. They won. Then they went into Kansas City. Yeah. So, oh yeah, that's right. That was the second round. I forgot about the Raiders. Um, yeah. So I, I think they're in. They're they're primed for a, a deep run. I'm. Are they going to make the Super Bowl? Probably not. Uh, they could. You know what I'm saying? Do we think? Do we really sit here last year and say that the Bengals were going to be anything more than maybe a first round exit? Yeah, and they came yeah, within, no. you know, a play or two of winning the Super Bowl. So it's interesting because you know, anytime you have a quarterback as talented as Justin Herbert, it's not out of the, outside the realm of possibilities that that something like that can happen. And at the same time, you know, would it shock anybody if the Jaguars won? Probably not. I might no. pick the Jaguars. I mean, they they beat them really good last time. Um, I think they loosened up after that after that performance against the Titans. I think Trevor Lawrence has been excellent, just as good as Justin Herbert down the stretch. Um, they they look like they're playing with nothing to lose right now. They look like they're having fun. Um, well, they, they are because they weren't expected to make the playoffs. No, and luckily for the Jaguars, you know Jacksonville is the type of place where like fans who travel well can fill that stadium, but the Chargers don't have fans, mm-hmm. so they they're actually going to have maybe more of a home field advantage than they ever expected. Um, I think the Jaguars have a real shot now. And of course, Doug Peterson's been here before. Doug, who knows? I mean, would it would it stun you if Doug Peterson coached circles around Brandon Staley? No. You know, a Super Bowl winning coach against I could probably uh, coach guy, circles around Brandon Staley. Yeah, Super Bowl winning coach against a guy in his first playoff game who's got a little bit of a history of uh issues in these big games, especially, you know, late in big games. Um I I might pick the Jaguars in this one. And we've got. I'm going, a, with the, I'm going with the Chargers. <laughs> I know you are. You, 
you said you you have you might have them making a run, so that would make sense. Imagine they might make a run. I'm going the Jacksonville. Winner, the winner probably <laughs> plays the Chiefs in Kansas City because I'm I don't think we we really have that high confidence in the Dolphins or the Ravens to advance. So oh no 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 no. So so the winner probably goes to Kansas City. I don't I'm, think the Jaguars are capable of that. I think the Obviously, if the Chargers went, I would not pick the Chargers. But when you have Herbert, it's not impossible. They played them closely in the past. So that's a story for another day. I guess we could we can continue on the AFC. Yeah. One thing that we didn't even mention at the top is the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. Now look at me, Dan. I want you to look at me. The two a plays or not, regardless. I think the Buffalo Bills absolutely blow the Miami Dolphins out of the water. I'm talking about worse than last year against the New England Patriots. I'm talking like 56 to nothing. Like, I'm not even be, like, look at my, I'm not even being like, I'm not even joking. I really think, I don't care if you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I don't. Because you have a half dead Tua, or you have Teddy Two Gloves, or you have Skylar Thompson. I mean, either way, it's not going to be good. This is not the Tua that played really, really hard against the, the Buffalo Bills a few weeks ago, you know, and it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate that we don't get to see this matchup that has been great. The two games this year that they played, you know, the bills came within a timeout of winning the game. The first time they played, you know, they won the game by a field goal in Buffalo, two great games that they played. This is not going to be one of them. Then it is going to be a 35 point plus blowout calling it now. That's a bold one, 35 points. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of tend to think that Tua won't play. I, I, don't, I don't know if he can get ready that quickly. Oh, then it's a 50-point blowout if Tua doesn't play. So, uh, we, yeah, this, this feels like a Bills team that's ready to explode. We saw it with, with a couple of the big plays in the second half yesterday. And as they get more comfortable after the DeMar Hamlin incident um, and play another game in front of their home fans, yeah, it feels like they may be ready to, to – Go out there and blow them out. I look at the doll, the Patriots game last year. Not a lot of people expected them to go in there and kill them, um, even though they were predicted to win, and they they killed them. So they 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 should be ready for this game. And then the real test is going to be against uh, the Bengals potentially in uh, in in the divisional round. Definitely. Um, so you're going with the Bills as well, then? I, I'm taking the Bills by a lot against the Dolphins. I'm taking the Bills I don't know about thirty-five plus. 35 about 35, but it's, you know why? Because, it's going to be by a lot. Because <laughs> you know what I love about the Bills? They don't give a fuck. They will be – they like, it'll be – they'll be winning by, like, 25 points with, like, four minutes left in the game, and you'll see Josh Allen roll out and throw a touchdown to Dawson Knox. <laughs> like, they don't care, and I love that. I love – you know what? Like, they play football like I used to play Madden, where it was like I was up by, like, 63 points with, like, less than a minute left, and I'd be throwing Hail Marys. You know, I – I love that type of football. I love the – to a certain extent, I love that, listen, we're going to beat the brakes off of you and you're going to know about it. Like, yeah. I love that. And that's like kind of what embodies the Buffalo Bills. Now they have this De- DeMar Hamlin thing driving through them. Forget it. I wouldn't be surprised if they mow – I mean, it's going to be tough to mow through the Bengals and, and the Chiefs. I wouldn't okay. be surprised if they mow through every single team and then lose in the Super Bowl. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Well, they- <laughs> Just like they used to do. Um, <laughs> if it's yesterday's win was big, though. I mean, they don't have to play a true road game. 
in the playoffs. I mean, not going to Kansas City, I mean, is massive. I don't yeah. care where you play. Not going there. I know you know, you're really – for anybody who's not, you know, who's not seeing us, Pete's really – Going into the uh, the snack drawer today, dude. I am I'm starving right now. I haven't I haven't eaten anything. I had three Kit Kats and now I'm eating a Jolly Rancher lollipop. <laughs> so that's what's keeping us going right now. Um, but yeah, the, the the Bills not having to go to Kansas City is massive. I mean, nobody wants to play an Arrowhead. I don't no. care who you are. I don't care how bad how bad the Chiefs are. If they were, you know, if they had a down year, you don't want to go to Arrowhead. Um, and it's it's. I'm glad that the NFL had it work out that way. You know, the the Bills beat them in Kansas City already this year. They didn't deserve to go to to Kansas City. Um, so that'll be interesting if that ends up happening. Uh, I think the Bengals do have to go to Kansas City if I've got that tiebreaker correct. If they beat the uh, the Bills, but they've done that before, right? They've done they've yeah. gone to Kansas City and won before. So either we're going to get a rematch of Bills Chiefs, I would think, or we're going to get a rematch of of. Uh, Bengals Chiefs, yeah, you know, unless the Chargers play spoiler or something. Let me ask you a question. It's very compelling because you have this rivalry between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes that arguably it's like the must see TV. I mean, last year, the playoffs, it was the greatest game of the year, you know, and these guys have faced each other, what, four or five times already, not just in the playoffs, but like in general. Mm -hmm. But then, you have Patrick Mahomes' Achilles heel in Joe Burrow, who's 3-0 yeah. and against Patrick Mahomes in his career. So it's in, it's really interesting to see because I would – like if I, we could have both matchups, I would just love to see both of them. Like if we could yeah. clone the Chiefs and then like have both of these matchups, like that would be great because I, I don't want to say no to either matchup. To me, I think the Bills just seem ready. The Bills just seem ready to win the Super Bowl. So to me, I feel like I'd rather see that because I feel like Josh Allen's just going to go in there and be like, listen, Patty, I don't give a flying fuck who you are. Like, <laughs> we're winning. And I feel like Joe Burrow, to a certain extent, would be like that too. But I don't know. Josh Allen's just got that look in his eye. It's just so – it's just such an exciting prospect, you know, either way. And then on the flip side, if – the Chargers somehow come through, then you have Justin Herbert versus Patrick Mahomes again. Another great yeah. quarterback matchup. Well, this is this is honestly like this is gonna define this era of the NFL, I think, is all these quarterbacks in the AFC facing each other every year. I truly believe you're gonna see this every single year for however many years. Burrow, Allen, uh, you know, Mahomes, Herbert. Even, you know, once they get healthy and have better pieces around them, Lamar Jackson. You know, there are other guys too, you know, Trevor Lawrence, maybe one day Deshaun Watson if they get that right. There's so many great quarterbacks in the AFC. Um, but I think this this Mahomes Allen, um, who's who I miss, Mahomes Allen Burrow and maybe Herbert trio, you know, group of four, whatever, it's gonna define this this um era yeah. of the NFL. Only one of them can get to the Super Bowl every year. And we've already seen Mahomes twice, we've already seen Burrow. That's why I kind of think you're right, and I think it's you know it feels like it's Josh Allen's turn, yeah. Uh, especially after all that's gone on, but that would be crazy though if if in you know three consecutive years you get Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen out of the AFC. I mean, it feels too perfect. Like you, you're seeing such a great era of of quarterback play in this conference yeah. after Brady and Manning ruled it for so many years. Um, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, and Joe I mean, Flacco. And she, Sure, sure. Uh, whatever you say. <laughs> Joe Flacco's still around. He's still good. 
Yeah, I draw the line there. <laughs> yeah. You could tell how good Joe you could tell how good Joe Flacco is by the fact that when he brought his three sons onto the field yesterday, one of them had a Tyreek Hill jersey on. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope that was his last NFL game. Uh, I, I hope so too, because it's just getting sad at this point. But don't the Jets feel know, like, like I, I don't want to bring this up, but real quick, don't the Jets the recently they feel like a retirement home. Yeah. Because it's like well, we had Frank Gore for like two years, you know, and Joe Flacco for a couple of years, you know, going back, um, they had Ty Law, you, you know, Ed Reed, you know what I'm saying? Like all these like, well, I don't know if I'd call Joe Flacco a Hall of Famer or anything close to a Hall of Famer, but like you have all these future Hall of Famers that just come to die with the New York Jets. Like wasn't Ronnie Lott on the Jets too? Uh, I mean, you already know when we're going to beg for a Jets primetime game and then whoever the quarterback is is going to get hurt for it next year, and, like, Joe Flacco is going to be under center. <laughs> they bring him out of retirement. He's in the stand yeah, no, already. They just have him on yeah. standby. Either, either he's going to be on the roster as, like, the third stringer or he's going to be brought out of retirement, and he's somehow going to end up starting a game against, like, the, you know, the Bills in, on Monday night or something. Like, it's going to be, <laughs> it's, it'd be such a Jets thing to have that happen. I do think, though, we can, we can use what we just talked about to transition into – um, what we talked about before Joe Flacco into the Bengals and Ravens. Actually, yeah. Joe Flacco played for the Ravens. That's a good segue too. Um, yes, I expect a big Bengals win here. I really don't care who plays a quarterback, but I do I do hope that Lamar Jackson starts uh, just for entertainment's sake. Like, you know he's going to make some plays at least with his feet uh, if, he, if he can play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope it's him and not Tyler Huntley or anything you know, like that. Joe Burrow's been making a lot of plays lately with his feet. Yeah, he's moving. Yeah. So, I mean, that play, that was ridiculous. That It was like a six-yard gain, but he ran like 80 yards to, to get away from that. He's like very sneakily athletic. He's like, yeah. to me, he seems like a little bit less of like a Daniel Jones type of athlete where like Daniel Jones has like freakish like athleticism for no reason for a guy that looks like Daniel Jones. He's one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, but like you don't look at him and you're like, and you're like, oh, oh that guy, yeah, you know, is a pocket passer. Even Trubisky, I have to say, Trubisky can't throw, but he can run. He can, he run, can run too. But uh, yeah, I'm so glad the Steelers aren't in the playoffs. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> just had to slide that in there. Uh, so yeah, talking about the Bengals and the Ravens, I got to be honest with you, I. I Especially if Lamar Jackson doesn't play, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough one. This this first round, like thinking about it now, this first round of games might really not be as good as we think as we think they're going to be. Especially well, I if think there, I think there are three good ones and three not so good. Ones. Yeah, especially if we, like if Tua doesn't play, even if Tua plays, I really don't think it's going to be that great. If Lamar Jackson doesn't play, I don't think Seattle and San Francisco is going to be that great. Like you know, just. Games like that are, are just well, well. They stuck the Ravens and Bengals in the same slot that they put the Chiefs and Steelers last year <laughs> that uh, nobody really wanted to watch. Yeah. So um, I see what they're doing there, but I, I do think it's the way I look at it: uh, three games that should be good, um, and then three that shouldn't. And the one wild card of the ones that shouldn't uh, is probably the Ravens Bengals, just because you never know if uh, you know if Lamar Jackson plays and. And the defense, the defense didn't look awful yesterday. I mean, look, we've seen Burrow destroy defenses. He did not destroy that defense yesterday. Maybe they were just in cruise control. I don't know. I think that's but, what um, it was. I, I, if, if Lamar plays and he's mostly healthy, I don't think it's a blowout. But I do think the Bengals win at home. Um, you know, we I think we both kind of expect the Dolphins' bills to be a little bit of a mess. Um, the Seahawks 49ers should be an easy 49ers win. However, 
and we could use this to segue into the game. Um, however, like I said before, I am just excited to see Gino Smith get his chance to play under the lights. It's the first playoff game. You know people are a ton of people are going to be watching. Um, so I'm excited. I, I hope maybe they go up like 7 nothing or something just to give us some hope. Um, but Brock Purdy and Geno Smith, did you expect that in, in the beginning of the season? Obviously. I know. No. So at least it's not like, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers at his, in prime Aaron Rodgers against like Taylor Heineke or something like that. You know, like, you know what I do like though? I like when like the quarterback matchups in the first round aren't great. Because for me, yeah, like I, I want to see, I want to see like Allen versus Burrow, Allen versus Mahomes. You know, like I guess the NFC side is not really that great. Uh, you know, I I can't even say you can't even really say like anything. Uh, Brady versus uh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like those aren't really that great. But Daniel I like Jones to see just just Brock Purdy. Just just, <laughs> just speaking like. In terms of like all time, I love seeing the good quarterback matchups in like the divisional round, the yeah. AFC Championship game. Like I hate when it's like uh, Brady versus Rodgers in like round one. It's like, well, shit, that kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't really expect much out of the Seahawks. I think it's a great story. They could surprise us and keep it a close game because their defense plays sort of kind of decent against. San Francisco, if they decide to cover George Kittle this time, maybe they'll fare out a little bit better. Um, they did play well defensively last time. Yeah, that was all, that was really it. Is if George Kittle didn't destroy them, I know it's easier said than done, but if George Kittle didn't destroy them, listen, I picked them. I, I know this was a big mistake on my part. I admit it. I picked the Seahawks to win that game last time. No, it was in Seattle. Uh, so there's that. But, you know, I wasn't a big Brock Party believer yet. I'm a little bit of a believer now. I know he's been playing some bad defenses, but he really lit up the Cardinals. <laughs> And I, I, it's not just his performance, but his poise. Like you know, it's you worry a about a seventh round rookie. You worry about a seventh round rookie like not being totally confident. He's play, he's out there playing like he's been in the NFL for six years. That's the biggest thing right now. So I'm pretty confident that they that the 49ers win that game. Could it be a blowout? It's kind of like the Georgia TCU thing. Could it be a blowout? Sure. Would it shock me? No. Uh, but I do think it has the potential to be a a, a decent game. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But I also don't expect the Seahawks to win, even if it is a decent game. Yeah. But I'm going. You know, it out, I, you know, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Yeah, we know that. And then uh, they'd be going to Philadelphia to play uh, Jalen. I think somehow if Max Duggan ever was able to face Geno Smith in a game, I think you would literally implode if that happened. <laughs> I don't know you what would happen. Out here back when we thought, when you thought Drew Locke was going to start, I said, I think Geno's the guy there. He's played well. I didn't say he was going to do well. But oddly I said, I said, oddly enough, that's sorry. not even my worst take of this uh, podcast. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving on, I yeah, now the Cowboys and the and the Bucks. I mean, it, it's it's one of two things. We talked about this last week. Dak Prescott turnover machine. Dak Prescott turnover machine against Washington. Did it really matter in the end of the day? Kind of because if well, I guess no, the game was over. I was going to say if the Eagles lost, they would have been playing for top seed. But I don't think they would – they wouldn't have got it, right? I think this, the 49ers would have got it with a victory and an Eagles loss, right? Yeah, but they would have had a, a home playoff game as the division winners. Yeah, so – If they had won and the Eagles lost. Now, you so know, something to play for. I mean, Dak throws another pick six. You know, he leads the league – he led the league in interceptions this year while playing 12 games. 
that's pretty telling. Did you see that sequence before the pick six that he threw yeah. on right to Kendall Fuller and Kendall Fuller dropped it and he was like devastated because it should have been a pick six. Next play, he throws it to Kendall Fuller, pick six. Like yeah, how can it, you? They they said Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is too smart not only to make that decision but to do it twice. How yeah. do you even do that twice? On back to back plays, it's it's a it's a concern for sure. You know, I, I tell you what. Remember, remember the Sunday Night Football in Week One, nineteen seventeen. Yeah, that's what yeah, that's the score that I'm going with with this game. It wouldn't wouldn't shock me. And I, Brady, I Brady, of course, ekes out a last minute drive <laughs> to get the field goal to win the game. I'm telling you, it's going to be like that because like. The Bucks have been playing pretty aw- an awful brand of football this year. Dak is prone to mistakes at this point because we haven't seen him with a mistake-free game in God knows how long. He's prone to making mistakes. The Buccaneers' defense is really the only reason why they're in the playoffs at this point. So I think it's just a recipe for disaster for Dallas. And then at that point, Dallas loses in the first round. Say they only score 17 points against Tampa. Mike McCarthy's got to go, right? I mean, he's got to go. Um, I mean, it feels like it. if if they if they really can't beat, I know it's Tom Brady, but let's be honest. Like that that team, if you reorganized the playoffs and you got rid of division winners, they'd be out. They wouldn't be a playoff team, and they yeah. wouldn't deserve to be either. The offense no. has been abysmal this year. The play calling is terrible. Everybody's injured. Um, they also lost Shaq Barrett on the defense, so their pass rush is hurt. Uh, they, you should not be losing to that team. I don't care if you're playing in Tampa or not. I don't care who the quarterback is. You shouldn't be losing to the to the Bucks to this Bucks team the way they played this year and the way the Cowboys have played this year. Um, but it's it's really going to be on Dak because the the Buccaneers' run defense is great. Uh, so you know, I know it, it'll be helpful if Tony Pollard has a big day. It'll be helpful if Zeke has a big day, which would kind of be shocking. Yeah. Um, but you can't rely on it. I think a lot of it's going to have to be. What Dak Prescott does in the passing game, and he's going to have to outplay Tom Brady, uh, which and, isn't as daunting as a task as it has no, been. No, it's in not years as past. daunting as it used to be. But the way he's been throwing interceptions, you know, Brady's not going to give you those chances like like no. uh, you know, like a lot of other quarterbacks do. No matter even if he's having a rough year, and I know he had some, he did run into some turnover issues late in the year. Uh, but early in the year, even when he was struggling, he was not turning the ball over. And that was keeping the Bucks in games. Yeah. You know, against some bad NFC South teams. Um, you can't give them extra opportunities. If you, if you both hold on to the ball, the Cowboys win this game. If the Cowboys do not turn the ball over, um, or at least don't turn it over more than once, I think they, they can confidently say they win that game. But if you're giving the Bucks extra opportunities, you're giving yeah. Brady extra opportunities, that's how you lose. Um, so I, I think um, I don't know about I don't know if you if this is something you think about, but I was a little surprised that they made that the Monday night game. You know, I thought that would be like a, a classic Sunday afternoon Tom Brady Cowboys versus Cowboys matchup, kind of like they did last year with the Cowboys putting them Sunday afternoon. Um, but I think that speaks to the the lore of Troy of uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They really want to give them these big time matchups. That no, they don't want to give them big time matchups. They just want to give them Tom Brady. There's two players in this world. My point is they want to give them – apparently they're going to give them the people, the teams that fans want to watch. Last yeah. year they gave them the NFC West Rams and Cardinals, which was a complete, completely different than this. That was terrible. But there's two people in this world that Joe Buck loved more than his entire family, and that's Jose Altuve and Tom Brady. So 
And then and then Troy Aikman's got his Cowboys, so I guess yeah, it's exactly. So because you know Tom, you know Joe Buck can get wet over Tom Brady, and Troy Aikman could praise his Cowboys. Um, yeah, I see the Bucks winning that one. The only reason why is because they're home. Honestly, I have no other reason to believe that 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 they will win other than that. And they look great at home, though. They really Tom do. Brady has like weird black sorcery magic or something like that, and he'll somehow win the game or. Whatever, but listen, it wouldn't shock me. I'm picking the Cowboys, so it wouldn't. It would. Nah, I'm going. I'm going Bucks, baby. I'm going right. Bucks, baby. All right. I'm a big Tom Brady guy, so that's so for, for as as much of a you know. We said a few of these games aren't that great, which is usual now in this expanded format with the seven seed. We we do we have different picks on two of them now because I've got I'm probably going to go with the Jaguars. Uh, over the Chargers, and you're going with the Bucks over over the Cowboys. I am, and uh, I hope we're in agreement on the last one that we have to talk about. I saved the best for last. That's the Giants against the Minnesota Vikings, and I got to be honest with you, the Giants were one bad defensive play or like defensive coverage on that screen pass to Justin Jefferson. They were one play away from going to overtime against the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. I don't think that as good of a coach as Brian Dayball is, I don't think that they go into Minnesota and make the same mistakes again that they did. I think that they win this game against Minnesota. So we're going to disagree on three of these. But I don't disagree with your logic. I think the Giants are extremely confident right now. They've completely rebuilt their confidence. Uh, Brian Dable has them confident. Daniel Jones' confidence is at an all-time high. He's also I know we didn't play uh, yesterday, but he's been playing better than he has in his entire career. And he had his he had his uh, career high in passing yards, I believe, against the Minnesota Vikings yeah, in that he game had too. Yeah, and uh, Saquon is coming off a week of rest, which is good. Defense is in good shape. Um, I think this might be the best game of the weekend. Yeah, um, it's it, it should be a very close one. I mean, let's be honest: the, the Vikings are not going to play a game that isn't close. Um, but but I think they pull it out in the last minute again. I I feel like the Giants are don't have the offense um, to crush the Vikings' magic just yet. I think the Vikings, with that passing game, um, pull it out in the end. Kirk Cousins gets another playoff win. He's been here before. He beat the Saints in the wild card round when they were underdogs. That's right. In New, in New Orleans uh, three years ago. Uh, I think he. I think the magic continues for one more week against the Giants, um, with that passing game, and then you know they go to. I guess that would be uh, San Francisco, Ugh. probably right. No, well, uh, actually, yeah, yeah. They go. They pro- they most likely go to San Francisco, and that's where the dream ends. Uh, <laughs> just like it did that same playoffs. Actually, they went to San Francisco and they lost to Jimmy G. Oh, that's right. Um, by by like a couple touchdowns too. Um, but I, I think I think the offense is is that much better than the Giants that they pull it out. But would it shock me if the Giants won? Definitely not. Not after yeah. the way they played against them. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. Also, I mean, we're we're talking about a Minnesota like yes, the you know the T.J. Hawkinson had an amazing day against the Giants. So did Justin Jefferson. I feel like if they could just clamp down on one of those two guys. It's going to be a lot tougher for the Minnesota Vikings. And this is also a historically bad Minnesota Vikings pass defense as well. You know, to be honest with you, to let Daniel Jones and that Giants offense throw for over 300 passing yards, that's 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 an accomplishment all on its own right there. 
Uh, I I really think that the Giants come in here, and I I actually think I'll I'll give you one thing, especially since Kirk Cousins has been prone to throwing pick sixes the last like few weeks. I think the Giants jump out to a big lead. I think they jump out to a big lead. Minnesota comes back. You know, the Giants let Minnesota come back into the game. And I think ultimately, I think it's going to be a closer game than we think, score-wise. But I think it's going to be a very, very good game. I'm thinking like 24-20, think like 27-23, something like that. I think the yeah, Giants pull it out. I could see that. But I, I, I do think – I think Greg Joseph's got the, the game-winning field goal in him one more time. That would just be so exciting. And then the luck runs out. Yeah, I don't know if Giants fans can survive that. Two two Greg Joseph game-winning field goals. <laughs> it has to be the, the only way that he hits it is if it's from sixty plus yards. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. No, there's no no thirty yard or no forty yard. He's got it. It's got to be, be sixty. Uh, but I think that's that's going to be a great one. I think they put it in the right time slot too. That nice Sunday afternoon slot yeah. before we all have to watch Tyler Huntley get run over by the Bengals. So potentially, potentially. just to clarify everything for everyone i have the bills the Bengals, and the chargers in the afc and the nfc i have the 49ers the giants and the buccaneers and i've got the um well that would be the bills Bengals, jaguars are all of our division winners in the afc um and then 49ers vikings and cowboys in the NFC. And uh, I'll say, you know, there were a lot of upsets last year in the playoffs. Uh, in the wild card round, though, I did polls for every all six games last year. And the uh, the team that the majority picked to win won every game in the wild card round. Um, although I think the Cowboys were favored in the game that they lost. But uh, 52%, I believe, of my followers picked the 49ers in that one. So that not one to, was kind of a toss-up. Not to brag, but I actually got every single playoff game right last year. Except one, and the one was the Super Bowl. So, okay. <laughs> so the I one that really mattered, I didn't know. Right. Championship. I was on an unbelievable hot streak going in, going into um, last year. Oh, before we go, we should tell everyone our final standings. Pretty sure you beat me because I went pretty bold in Week 18, and I lost a few more games than I probably should have. Um, so, let's give our final records for the 2022-23 regular season. Yeah. Well, uh, we know I missed a couple of weeks, but luckily. Yeah, but you have yours on uh, Instagram. I have, mine. I have yeah. mine. But I have to I have to calculate how well I did this week. So let me All add right. that up right now. So I will give you mine first because I have it right here. I ended up going, man, this period really killed me. Wow. I went, yeah, because I went eight and eight this period because I picked, well, I picked the Bucks, the Patriots, the Jets, the Browns, the the Cowboys the Chargers and the Rams and the Packers. So it kind of killed me a little bit. But uh, I finished the year 100 <clears> – actually, oh, 169 and 100 on the dot is what I finished this year. Wow. Wait a minute. So I so I went 11 and 5 this week. Uh-huh. Um, I believe I have that right. That makes me 170 – and 99. Wow. <laughs> and obviously, this does not count the ties, and this does not count Bills and Bengals, which there's yeah. no way to count that anyway. Yeah. So there are three games missing from the picture here. One of them wasn't played at all, essentially, and two were ties. But 170 and 99 is what I've got. Yeah, this is my best record that I've ever had. So um, Yeah, I'd have to go back to 2020 to take a look at how it did, because I know last year was a big drop-off from 2020. Last year, I did not do well. 
uh, at all. Uh, and in 2020, I didn't start my picks to week two, so I actually missed a week. I think I had. Uh, I think last year I was. I think I was 14 games worse last year than I was this year. Last year wasn't that great of a year for me. I'll take take 69 games over 500. (laughs) Let me scroll back. I could do this probably pretty quickly as long as I still have it saved uh, and see how I did last year. I've got definitely got that record. Um, Let's see. Oh, last year wasn't that bad compared to this year, but the fans did better than me last year. Uh, I went 165 and 106 last year. Okay. So I went, um, I went. let's see, uh, six games better this year because it was five in the win column, seven in the loss column. Again, nice. it gets thrown off by the ties and things like yes. that. Um, Very good. But, but uh, one, yeah, so six games better this year. But – so this is this speaks to how unpredictable the year was. Um, so the fans last year went one seventy one and one hundred. You know the fans just end up picking the majority because it's just you know that's how it works. Um, this year before this week they were one forty six and one hundred seven, and then let's see how they did this week. One and 0, and four and four and one, five and one, five and two, six and two, six and three, seven and three, eight and three. Oh wait, no, that's seven and four. Chargers lost. Um, Eight and four, nine and four, ten and four, ten and six. Uh, so that the fans ended up going one fifty six and one thirteen, which was about fourteen games worse than last year. Wow. So you know that's not a knock on any fans. It's just basically that's like against the spread. You know that's what the majority picks. Pretty much, um, yeah. So that means uh, the majority was wrong considerably more than last year but actually they went 171 and 100 last year so about 15 games worse you know so i'm just proud of, unpredictable year i'm just proud of myself because at one point i think mid-season you had like a seven game lead on me or something like that yeah i, I had a couple rough weeks late in the year there yeah so, so well i mean if i didn't get my head if i got my head out of my ass this week and actually picked with my brain instead of my heart i probably i probably would have uh would have done better but Kudos to you, sir. You won the first uh, the first season. Uh, if you want to double, if you want to double down, we could go throughout the playoffs. We could do, do that. that. I'll do that because okay. we've got some different picks already. So let's see that. So let's do that. All right. So you won the regular season, but you didn't win the whole season yet. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see what what it is at the end. I'll probably lose because everyone I pick will probably lose. So um, I know it sounds like you nailed it last year. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I was on some shit last year. I don't know what was going on. But <laughs> everyone, the first thing I want to say is I hope you all enjoy the playoff games. Uh, you will hear from us again right back here around the same time next week. Well, since there's a Monday night playoff game, we'll probably go Tuesday. Yeah. So you'll hear from us a little bit later than usual, but – Uh, We want to make sure we get all the games in there so we can talk about all of them. So thank you guys so much for listening to this. And uh, good luck in your parlays that are inevitably not going to come through.